Welcome to the Swamplex Podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. I'm Brittany Lombas. I'm Hannah Rassinen. I'm James Cohn. And we are recording in James and Hannah's apartment <laughs> in Mid-City, New Orleans. And this is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swampflix. Episode 150. Wow. Damn. Of this crew. I mean, if you add in the other ones, we're like closer to like 190, but this is like the core. We started the this core together. Team. Yeah. I tagged on like a little barnacle. <laughs> can't get rid of me now. You're the extra win in the sales towards the Hell end. I think. Yes. Have we done anything significant in the last 150 episodes? I don't know. We've talked about a lot of movies. We're going to do that again today. <laughs> yeah. We're kind of just continuing on. Yeah. I mean, when I had to decide what the theme for this, you know, we were talking about trying to do something a little more like, I don't know, serious, like, ooh, 150. That's such a milestone. And ended up picking... A bunch of silly short films. Yeah, but it's it's uncharted waters. We've never done this. Sort of. Every year on the show, Cece and I go to New Orleans Film Fest. Oh, you're right. Talk about a bunch of shorts. Oh, okay. And then we also did one on Kenneth Anger sometime during the pandemic, and he only made short films. So somewhat, but this is like a wide breadth, like the entire history of cinema. Yeah. (laughs) Conversation we're having today. Short cinema. It's gonna be huge. Yeah. We each picked a short film that we've seen before. And one that we wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and they ended up kind of being all over the place, which is yeah. kind of fun. What else have you been watching uh, lately besides short films? What have y'all got? So actually last night in preparation for West Side Story that is out now, I was with my wine club. We had our Christmas wine club mm. and we um, watched the old West Side Story. I hadn't seen it since like college. I've never seen it. Um, you never seen the original uh, West Side Story? Oh, my wow. God. I love good. West Side Story. It's um, good, man. So, yeah, it was good. It was way darker than I remember it being, like, rewatching it now, I guess, because I'm also a different person. I don't know. It's a very bizarre moment. Um, it's very sad, very Romeo and Juliet, tragic, mm-hmm. but lots of good dancing, a couple of, like, surprisingly, like, homoerotic parts that I kind of pinned out, and it could just be my imagination, but I was loving it. I just loved the talent, the singing, the dancing. It, the way that the film is set up, it feels like you're watching the play. Like you're, it truly feels like yeah. you're watching a stage play, which I like. That's why I'm so interested to see the Steven Spielberg yeah. version because, as I feel like as a director, he's kind of perfect for West Side Story. I just think about how he does those like, I don't know, those long takes kind of thing, and like I yeah. feel like. It's going to be really good. Everyone I know that's like seen it or people who have written about it, like at first they're like, this is dumb. Why are you remaking this shit? And then after they watch it, they're like, yeah, that was totally necessary. Uh, And they really, really, um, people have good things to say about it. So I'm excited for that. I'll probably watch that next, next Thursday is when I plan to go see it. So the trailer, like when tonight starts in the trailer and the strings, oh, it's just like makes my my skin tingle. Yes. So, so yeah. Do you know the songs from the play, even though I've never seen it before? Yeah. Because some of them are just so iconic. Like, like I, feel I feel pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Steven Sondheim, who, who passed, away. passed away. Yeah. Yeah. yeah whenever. Um, so real quick, I, I went to New York and. Oh, yeah. My, me and my mom went to Marie's Crisis, which is a. A bar in the village. It's like a gay bar, but every time, like, you go in at any hour and somebody is on the piano playing show tunes and everybody's oh, singing along. Oh my wow. God. And it was just, I walked in and the first thing was, what do we want next? Something from Gypsy or Assassins? It's Sondheim <laughs> night. Oh, and- no. <laughs> cool. It's amazing. It so it was, yeah, just all like the theater kids and, you know, yes. trying to practice their chops. So 
I'm I'm pretty stoked, and it's a good movie. You know, still holds up. So yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Hannah, what have you been watching lately? So we saw a new movie, the new Paul Verhoeven movie, Benedetta. Yes. I love Paul Verhoeven. Basic Instinct is one of my oh. favorite movies. I love Starship Troopers. I love RoboCop. And uh, this is a movie inspired by a real nun named Benedetta Carlini, um, who lived in the 17th century, and uh, she was a beautiful gay nun. And uh, this movie is just... So basically, it's about her ascent in the convent in uh, Pescia, this little, tiny little town, and uh, like the plague and the sociopolitical atmosphere of the time it's a very political movie yeah this um cool I, yeah i literally just read a book about lesbian nuns mm-hmm. so this sounds yeah. like i need to watch it they're like very many tits there's a lot of snakes Ooh. jesus plays many big roles in this film he's uh cutting the heads off of snakes he has a vagina um <laughs> i get it's pr- probably not my favorite paul verhoeven movie but i did enjoy it it was just like i mean he is just a master of like high class trash and this was another yeah i feel like lately in his career you know with like l and he's been trying to do more like kind of serious art house kind of thing and this is like a perfect marriage of like showgirls and like l like (laughs) so it's like it's high art and low art at the same time and it's like i'm not even religious and i thought it was blasphemous in a great (laughs) way like there are some scenes of Jesus, like in her visions, that was like I've never seen Jesus like this before. Yeah, yeah. right. It was like this, like kind of romance novel, like Fabio totally. style model, and a heavy metal badass, right. like with wielding a sword. <laughs> yeah. the and it's like you know they they have like this holy relationship. Like I, oh, I'm nuns are the bride of Jesus, but she is like no, oh, Jesus yeah. is my husband. Yeah, and he's like like she's being attacked by snakes, and he rides in, and he's like no. I'll save you, Benedetta. And he's like slashing him up. Um, Yeah, it was just like such a beautiful um, and very fun exaggeration of that um, relationship. What a good time. Yeah. I loved her waging war on the Catholic Church. Yes. I don't know. This isn't my favorite Verhoeven either because it's yeah. like kind of muted style wise. And mm-hmm. unless it's she's having her visions, the visions are oh, high bananas. Style, yeah. Like, sheen from him. But. I just loved, like, as soon as she arrives in the convent, they're basically like, all pleasure is bad. Right. Uh, you should hate living in your yeah, body. Yeah, wear this itchy robe. Yeah. Basically, you should be in constant torment while you're on Earth. Yeah. Um, mm. in, in a way to, like, honor God. And she either made it up or actually had visions that gave her the power to say, like, actually, God talks to me directly and he says I should have as many <laughs> orgasms yeah. and yeah. wonderful <laughs> afternoons as I want before I die. He said it's totally cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and as long as I keep coming, everyone in this right. village stays alive and doesn't <laughs> die of the plague. Yeah, and I love how strategic she is too. She's like, "Oh no, God told me we're all safe," and then she's like, "Close the gates, right? Don't let anyone in because <laughs> the plague is happening." Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's a really fun, like political power struggle between her and the church. Yeah, uh, I-, I had a lot of fun with it too. Yeah, uh, delicious. Yeah, it was good. James, what have you been watching? As far as new movies, well, we went and saw that new Ghostbusters. Oh. And I uh, hated it. Looked bad. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, People oh, yeah. People were saying how like, oh, the other one was a shit show and this is going to be, this is it. No, well, that's, I, I don't really have any opinion of the other one. I've never seen it. It was fun. Yeah, sure. It was, it was right. fine. Yeah. yeah. But man, like, 
this was probably one of my least favorite movies I've seen oh, in wow. theaters. Oh, it's such a like nostalgia trip. And it just like redoes everything that the original film did. Like half the movie is basically like, oh, remember that from the original Ghostbusters? Oh, I hate yeah. That. We're doing that again. And it like doesn't have any new ghosts either. Yeah. Like, which is super disappointing. There are like five ghosts in this movie. And the main ghosts are the same main ghost from the first movie. It's Zool. And then it's the same, like, the gatekeeper and the key master. And there's, like, marshmallow things. Yes, the teeny, just teeny little marshmallows um, blending themselves in a supermarket. I don't know. It was interesting to watch, though, because I've read a lot about how, like, nostalgia is, like, a really big deal. And I don't know. Like, I guess it's always been a big deal, but it seems like there's so many franchises or it's just like a cash grab. We're going to bring back Ghostbusters yeah. so modern, you know, kids can go buy a marshmallow pillow or just, whatever. And It comes off as just being so lazy. Like, it is yeah. Like, yeah. like, no one's trying. They're just like, let's just, sure, whatever. Cool. And it had its charm. You know, Paul Rudd is charming. He's doing his Paul uh-huh. Rudd thing. And it's like, the cast is good. But, it, man, mm-hmm. it was just like, it felt like it had no soul whatsoever. Gross. But- Watching in the theater, the crowd loved it. And Weird. I get, oh, and I guarantee you they're going to, this is like the first in a series of sequels or it whatever. It hit up the toy aisle real hard Dude, like, after it, that. Like when the marshmallow, the Stay Puff Man came on, like the crowd was howling. And I was just like, this is why nostalgia works. Like it's these people that are bringing their kids to see a thing that they grew up on and they're like getting high off of. You know, going back to their youth, and there's like something incredibly powerful about that, but it's like not what I go to the movies. That's such a for. strange feeling. Like I remember both Deadpool movies. I was dragged to the theater for them, and I remember mm-hmm. sitting there like not laughing, but everyone around me was like slapping their knees, like oh, right. oh, oh, oh. dude, that <laughs> was the funniest shit they've ever heard. I know, I but like, that's what's weird. been so crazy about going to the movies now is like. You know, during the pandemic, I was watching everything at home, and you miss that like communal aspect but like especially with comedies or something like ghostbusters like seeing the way the crowd reacts it totally like shades your thoughts on the movie i was like am i the one that's wrong yeah. like was that actually good it's like no it wasn't but anyway it was it was interesting um what, what have you been seeing brandon um i did watch the third nicholas cage release of the year and i kind of just want to talk about like his report card for 2021 <laughs> which one <laughs> The newest one that came out was his collaboration with Sean Sono, uh, Prisoners of the Ghostland. Oh, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I want to see that. It's on Shutter now. Oh, cool. And going into the year, I thought that would be his best movie of the year. And that was the one I was like most excited about. And it's his worst. It's not like terrible, but it's just like you would expect him like teaming up with the director of like Suicide Club would be like the coolest movie mm-hmm. you'll see in your lifetime. And it really wasn't. Like, it, it's just like a kind of standard dystopian horror Western thing. And everyone is dialed to his level. So everyone only screams and whispers. And everyone's this ridiculous caricature. Some cool costumes and a cool, like, martial arts kind of moments. But did you see the one where he's like playing a version of himself as an actor? That Has comes that come out next year. At a birthday oh, okay. party. Yeah, so that hasn't come out yet. Yeah. So usually in a calendar year, Nick Cage has. I mean, usually, I mean, I'm talking about the past decade. He has like 
10 to 12 movies a year. And like most of them are like direct to video action films that no one will ever see. And he showed up for like two days of filming. (laughs) uh, Basically like purely financial decisions. But it feels like this year, maybe it's just production delays or maybe he actually was choosier. Mm -hmm. But he only had three movies total. And And they were all really good. Well, there's Pig. Yeah. Which that I'm surprised to say is easily the best of the three. And it's this kind of muted drama. Yeah. Yeah. And then Willy's Wonderland. Wonderland, Yeah. I think is the best. That's your favorite? I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. That one's the fun one, right? Yeah. That's him fighting animatronics and like a Chuck E. Cheese. And in the most serious like way though. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Like it doesn't have that like bananas manic energy. Exactly. Because he's, yeah. Because he's mute basically. But that's kind of, but that kind of is the, cheesiness is like how yes. much oh, a he gimmick. plays it yeah yeah it's like a gimmick of him playing yeah. it straight and he doesn't right. talk and just Good. drinks his so yeah i feel like he's just i almost feel like mandy was the point where like like that was phenomenal yeah mm-hmm. I, I really and think since then it's just like man he's been just his yeah. career Killing. is like when he passes away one day and you look at his total filmography it's one of the most interesting filmographies from any actor mm-hmm. yeah. ever like it's so fascinating the different directions his career has taken and like none of it like he's not diving down if anything like i feel like he's still like like genuinely doing well with film like he's not mm-hmm. like in this like pit that a lot of actors his age like find themselves like falling into well he know. had this moment he almost like, went there but he, yeah he did he brought I feel himself like he back went there up. for a little bit yeah. like Post, you know, he won an Academy Award for like leaving Las Vegas and he was in adaptation and there was a period where he was like taken extremely seriously as an actor. Like the family man time. Yeah. But then something happened post like Bad Lieutenant where he just started, like Brandon said, doing these like kind of director DVD, like kind of action pictures. And now he's done a renaissance where he's doing very Mm -hmm. strange, still Nick Cage, but like art house weird nick i don't know it's mm-hmm. really cool cooler yeah. people are seeking out him like seeking yeah. him out for like mm-hmm. you know, collaborations yeah i guess i'm just disappointed that the sean soto movie isn't as good as it should have been that yeah, should have been like his mandy level knockout for the year and mm. it's fine it's not like terrible but like you're much better off watching the other two yeah, yeah i i mean i love pig that's gonna be in my top 10 Me for too. sure this yeah. year is so good i don't know about y'all but like my top 10 is like five movies i loved and then I have about twenty to thirty movies I rated four stars this year that I'm like, I don't know how to that's order sort of these. How, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of how mine is painting out. I'm looking, been looking at my letterbox. And it's like my five star movies. It's like, yeah, there's like five or six I know for sure are going to be in there. And then there was like a lot of good stuff too. That's yeah. hard to kind of. Yeah. Uh, rank barb rank. and star i mean it's like yeah. I don't know where it is, but it's definitely it's at the top. <laughs> oh baby. Well, that will be our next episode when we're all together. Uh, in the meantime, we have sort of a throwback to our earlier episodes when we would talk about a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. So we have like eight films to talk about today. Uh, they, they're all just like under 40 Ooh, minutes. Teeny so tiny. <laughs> hopefully we can get through them pretty quickly, yeah. even though yeah. there's a lot of ground to cover. And most of them are actually like 15 sub. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I think th- I picked the two yeah. longest. longest. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Which I didn't do that intentionally. It's yeah. just how it happened. Well, we are going to talk about eight short films covering pretty much the entire history of cinema. (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot of ground to cover. Lofty goals for the day. And all that's coming up to you 
right now. Short films are their own breed. They are written and made for all different reasons. Many times, it's for a director or cinematographer to show off their ability, or maybe the short is really just an ad for something. And sometimes the writers seemingly abandon what they know about writing dramatic narratives when they go to write a short film. So for this episode, yeah, you know, again, it's our 150th episode. Very important. I'm, we're so <laughs> important and popular, and we're the gatekeeper for cinema. Yeah, but um, you'll come to us first. <laughs> no, and I, I was really trying to think like, what is something kind of that we haven't really talked about before, and and so I decided to talk about short films, which it's weird being a movie podcast, like how little we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's like this whole part of cinema that we kind of, not that we ignore it, but I know me as like a viewer, I don't really seek out short films. And so I felt like this would be a good way for us to kind of explore this whole other part of filmmaking that we don't really touch on very often. I think the ones we end up picking too, like do highlight the ways in which short films are viewed by most people. Unless you go to film festivals, you're only going to encounter shorts in certain contexts. Like before you mm-hmm. watch a Disney movie. Oh, we didn't, we didn't that, touch that that's one. That's true too. Yeah. But we touched a lot of the ones that normally when you encounter them in the wild. Yeah. I feel like that's them. how most people get them is those, the Pixar shorts. Yeah. yeah. Charts? Pixar charts? <laughs> they kind of are like Whoa. charts. They like should a little, like, what did you eat Like a little preamble, film? yeah. <laughs> Pixar charts. Sick. Jesus Christ. Um, so, so for the episode, we decided to, we're each going to talk about one that we've already seen that we enjoy and then yeah. pick one that we wanted to see. So the one I picked for us to watch that I always wanted to see was uh, La Cabana. Cabana? Cabina. La Cabina. Yeah. So it's actually um, was made for television. It's from 1972. It's a Spanish film. And I had always kind of heard about this because I really like movies like... Um, Exterminating Exterminating Angel. Angel, like where people can't leave a situation. And it's sort of this existential, absurdist sort of thing. So anyway, I heard this one was like very good and really highly regarded. And it's pretty straightforward. It's a guy. He's, it seems like a businessman. And there is this phone booth that is installed in this like city square. And he you know, sees his son off to school. And he decides to go make a phone call inside the phone booth. And the door locks behind him. And he's stuck. And from there, it, you know, people try to help him get out. The fire department shows up. And nobody can seem to open the door or break the glass and he's screaming for help. And it sort of turns into this attraction where people are watching him and they're laughing and they're kind of entertained by his waving at him. Right. And they're like kind of, yeah. Entertained (laughs) by his like despair and his plight. Uh And eventually he gets like brought onto this truck, which brings him to this like underground facility. And then you find that there's tons of, phone booths <laughs> with people that have been dead oh. or have committed suicide. So the film ends on like a really dark sort of note. And then, you know, you're under the assumption, like they're just going to install these phone booths around the city. And this is how they trap people. Yeah. So again, I love these sort of stories. And I thought this one was like a really great version of that. And I, I thought there were like some really cool 
shots in here and some images, like especially with the people kind of making him a spectacle and laughing as he's like in pain. Yeah. And I thought it was like funny and the ending was extremely dark, which Mm -hmm. I liked. And I really enjoyed this. I don't know. What did y'all think about it? Um, I liked it too. I I love Exterminating Angel. And actually I was kind of bummed that I couldn't squeeze in another Boonwell short onto Mm -hmm. this list because we each picked two. We should have probably done in Shandalu, which is yeah, like, I, I thought about classic. picking that one. But yeah. through a few others, we kind of covered the same like surrealist, yeah. absurdism, kind of like um, mm-hmm. like symbolism heavy yeah. political filmmaking. I don't know that I necessarily know what this movie was saying with its political thing. It, it feels like, you know, kind of like Cube or something where like the government is like doing this experiment on the people. The way I took it was like, the image of him stuck and he's like in distress and people like making a show of it. I don't know if this was the filmmaker's intent, but reminded me kind of like reality television or like watching Jerry Springer or like, yeah, yeah, just watching people in like times of stress and in drama in their life. And we're watching it as like entertainment. It's like a prediction almost because this happened way before. Yeah, because this was from the 70s. So obviously you didn't know Uh -uh. reality television. Well, Candid Camera had been on the air since the Mm. 40s. Oh, that's true. But yeah, it felt like that. It's like if someone else is in pain and suffering, we can kind of make uh, entertainment out of it. And then he, you know, he gets to the basement. He sees like he's also part of this like government apparatus to like keep people enslaved or whatever. So yeah, it was kind of a broad political social metaphor i mean and there is this like consistent strain of people that are trying to help him like these two businessmen stumble upon him and he's asking for help they're like oh yeah we'll help you and they they try to get it open they're like oh we can't do it now we're late for work and then there's like this big beefy dude that tries to like (laughs) Uh, hulk his his elbow into the Yeah. yeah And and so that's he's like trying to help, but also trying to show how strong he is. And the police come; they can't get him out. Um, so it's like amidst the kind of spectacle, there are people that are trying to help, but are I mean, basically all of their attempts are futile. Mm-hmm. Like finally, the fire department comes; and they're about to just hammer in the glass, and then like whatever company has installed this phone booth is like beep 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 wait and then they like pull their little truck up and everyone's like oh that'll be fine <laughs> i mean that to me was like there we do have altruism but it it only extends so far and once a solution that doesn't involve like additional work on our part presents itself we're willing to just kind of like leave it behind well yeah and it, and then we're also like our efforts are kind of futile when it comes to something as big as like the government or like these huge systems of power. It's also interesting. There's like those photo booths all over the city collecting all these people that just turn into bones inside of them. Right. And no one's warning anybody like, right. Hey, stay away from those. Cause presumably the word would get out. Like, yeah, my cousin Tim like walked in one of those. Right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> we never saw him again. Yeah. Uh, Maybe it's so new. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Yeah. And they like in- immediately install another phone booth. Yeah. yeah. When, you so know. So some people probably think like, oh, like, th- I guess the guy got out. Yeah. Because they probably think the new one is still the old one. The professionals came in and took care of it. You know? Right. <sighs> yeah. yeah. I oh, definitely man. thought the first half when it's the village square of people like making fun of him was yeah. like the very strong part. 
Once he goes on that like trip on the back of the truck, like throughout the town, and almost like, like threw up at that part. Like, <laughs> I was well, the claustrophobia. I'm like, this dude's running out of air, and I he was, did, he's gonna fucking die. Yeah, I did absolutely love though the score at the end. Oh, uh, that was it good. becomes yeah. like an opera. opera yeah, that mm-hmm. actually was pretty chilling. You know, he's like screaming, but you you can't hear screams inside mm-hmm. the phone booth, and the operatic music is swelling. And then you see like the corpses of all these people in mm-hmm. these phone booths. I-, I thought that was pretty affecting. Yeah, it's good, but like it's like I'm more worried about the plot at that point. Like, what's going to happen? How's right. this going to resolve itself? True. Where like at the beginning, it feels like you were saying like that existential crisis, uh-huh. and in particular, it feels like that anxiety you get when you do literally anything in public. Right. People are like watching you. Right. Oh God. Like, <laughs> the automatic doors of the uh, grocery store don't open and you like walk right into the glass and like right. everyone watches yeah. and laughs. I kind of like, <laughs> I like how it ended like where, you know, I had a lot of things that just weren't answered where I'm like, well, what's the point of capturing people just right. to rot? Like, I guess like do some test on him or something. You know what I mean? Right. Make him a science experiment. Um, but it just looks like, I mean, are they just grabbing people in these things and be like, all right, bye. Like, what's the point? It's weird. Well, and also, it's weird, too, like this metaphor of the phone booth. And like, there was that movie that came out in, I think, like the early 2000s with Colin. Is it Colin Farrell? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Larry Cohen wrote it. Yeah, I think it's called Phone Booth. I feel like there's been other films like set in phone booths which is like bizarre because they don't like really they don't exist anymore anymore. like so it feels like this kind of ancient metaphor that no longer is useful for us it's like you know it's a capsule of communication but it's Mm. totally isolating and you know he walks in and the phone doesn't work and then he's like okay so it's like he can't communicate with anybody and he's in a phone booth, which is the per- like the purpose of a phone booth is communication. Well, I think, and to your point, I feel like a phone booth is a great metaphor because it's private. You know, you close the door and you have a conversation that no one can hear, but it's public. Right. It's like clear. You can see through it. And that feels like a really great metaphor right. for- Unless you're in the UK. Those are pretty cozy. Oh, yeah. But it, it's just like <laughs> how we exist in the public yeah. sphere. It's like we're always being watched, even in our- our most like private moment. And the Ooh. audience doesn't really notice him watching them back. Cause like there's that really right. tall guy who keeps eating the pastries uh-huh. out of like someone else's <laughs> cart, like oh, basically yeah, stealing yeah. food. Right. And he's like disgusted with this man, but he's just watching. <laughs> we can't do anything about it. Right. Yeah. So they're being watched too at the same time that they're making fun of him. We're all watching each other. Yeah. yeah. I thought, I thought it was good. It was good. I, it was yeah. good. I enjoyed Spooky. it. know where we're going unless we kind of know where we've been can't understand the future of the present until we have some sort of grappling with the past and we need to say to ourselves that the moment has come when we have to treat every last moving image as reverently and respectfully as the oldest book in the library of congress so when we were talking about like what we're going to pick for this it was one that we've seen one that we wanted to see Mm -hmm. and immediately my thoughts were just like what are short films to me. Yeah. Like, yeah. Where is that context in my brain for like cinema? And I immediately thought of just like early film mm-hmm. and like before there were feature films, right. everything was shorts. <laughs> and like yeah. a mm-hmm. lot of the more iconic movies that are short films are iconic because they were the only movies around at that time. So I picked some really over the plate shit today. Uh, <laughs> uh, George Melier directed like some of the earliest like iconic films ever made mm-hmm. i picked a trip to the moon from 
1902. Yeah. Wow. Mm. So he made like hundreds of movies uh-huh. and he was just basically inventing the art form yeah. as he was going. Like, And that's the first documentary of space travel, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. George Melier faked the moon landing <laughs> before Cooper could get right. to it. <laughs> it's basically like a stage play the way that like most early cinema is where the camera is very static mm-hmm. and they like film these giant like tableaus of lots of actors, but all within the same frame. And his invention as a filmmaker was not in moving the camera or anything. It was in editing and doing all these like splice cuts where like a character would like turn into something else by mm-hmm. like changing in the frame. It's uh, super haunting. Like that to <laughs> me was like just the most bone chilling shit. I don't know why. At the time, it would have been that version of, like, special effects magic. Like, that was the CG of the time, was the magic of being able to edit like that. In this movie, it's very simple. It's like, he plays this professor. He's in the movie himself. Uh, He plays this professor who convinces all these other um, (laughs) academics that it's possible to go to the moon. They build a rocket that they shoot out of a cannon. Uh, The rocket lands in the moon's eye. Very iconic image of the, like... Paul Rubens looking motherfucker in the moon getting like a rocket stuck in his eyeball. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then they have a sleepover slumber party on the moon. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, The moon's also represented by this like beautiful woman in a crescent shape, which I feel is another iconic image that's been echoed through a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. The Smashing Pumpkins is probably the first time. Yeah, I was going to say that's the first time I saw this. (laughs) This imagery. Yeah. And then they are captured by the moon savages. Maybe that hasn't aged particularly well in the last century. Uh, And then. They escape back to Earth by thwarting the savages, and they have one stowaway uh, that looks like it's going to cause a problem back on Earth, but yeah. um, instead everyone just dances and then yeah. it ends. <laughs> <laughs> this, is what I, this is what I think about this movie, and this is on my mind because we recently watched Paprika on the show, and I feel like when people talk about movies in general, the quote that a lot of people like to use is that Roger Ebert, like, movies are a machine that generate empathy, mm-hmm. and I don't think of movies that way. Really? Like, I I like that quote, and it works, but, like, when I think of movies, I think of them as, like, dreams that people share. Yeah. Uh Aww. And to me, Trip to the Moon is one of the more dreamlike films I've ever seen. Um, It just is also one of the earliest movies ever made. Yeah. (laughs) I go back to that Roger Ebert quote a lot, and it does work for for a lot of films. Like, most films are about human characters that we want to feel empathy for and they're going through some problem and they're changed at the end you know classic storytelling but the power of films and a lot of the films we're watching for this episode is just like pure image and spectacle and like this one honestly was maybe the most entertaining for me of all Mm -hmm. the films we watched in this episode and it's like just pure image Mm -hmm. and like that's enough you know like sometimes you don't need a human story. It can really just be like, that is so cool to look at. So I don't know that Eber quote doesn't really factor that into the equation. And then this movie captures that. And we, when you have a very limited amount of time, then I think it's easier to make a more poetic film than like something that is very reliant upon dialogue and like a complicated plot. Like this is just a moon fantasy. This like just shows the, potential creativity with film like yeah Yeah. you can just go batshit crazy if you want to because that's what it lets you do like it doesn't really have to make sense and there doesn't need to be some like james was saying some kind of story 
just could be a good time. And I just felt like this was like yeah. a good, funky little time yeah. with a bunch of cool yeah. shit to look at. Oh. Yeah. It's just so okay. fun. <laughs> it was I, great. I feel like, and James and I kind of talked about this a little bit. It's like, it feels to me like a very naive film, like naive about what space travel is and what like the moon is. Funny and also you. like rudimentary. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't know what the moon looks like. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, and then also it's just like, you know, one of the first films, like it's naive in filmmaking just by virtue of being made in 1902. Um, like I love the little, like they land on the moon and then they all like pull their blankets out, like their little moon blankets and get, I don't know, there's just something that felt very like childish, but then it felt also like very colonialist. Like oh, they definitely. they yeah. like shove this bullet into the moon, and it's like <laughs> a very violent. Image. Like there's blood dripping down, and then like immediately they just start whacking like the moon natives, and they explode into puffs of smoke. Um, I don't know. I just thought it was like a very interesting expression of like male that it's like a male colonialist fantasy and there are women around but they only yeah. are there to do like menial labor so right. that men could go to the moon yeah and like little <laughs> swimsuits yeah. they like carry the bullet um rocket and they like wave at the men i, I don't know it's the naivete is like lost now because we've gone to the moon right you know, like we know what the moon looks like. We don't like. expect giant mushroom right. trees. If yeah, you plant it, an like umbrella, a, a mushroom will not grow. Yeah, on it's the like moon. a simpler time before we knew what was on the moon or what it looked like. It's like we could have these fantasies about moon creatures and whatever. But now that we've actually gone to the moon, it's not that interesting. It's, it's, it's not that rock. interesting. It's, it's just a, it's a barren yeah, nothing. It's like, a big rock. Why do we even go? Like, I kind of like this version of the moon. And we can't ever go back to it because now we've been there. And it's not as cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. I, and I'm sure. What a we'll go, letdown. And we'll go to Mars one day. And then it's like, we can't have movies right. about Martians anymore because well, now we've gone to Mars. I do think that's somewhat on purpose, though. It's not like, it's not like he's imagining what the moon is actually like. It's like, no, no. I <laughs> the movie in particular and his whole style was like in opposition to what other movies were doing at the time. So, like, most movies were documentaries and, like, actuality films, they call them. Or, like, uh, like the earliest example is, like, the train arriving at the station. Right. And it's, like, just a document yeah. of a thing happening. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, like, isn't it cool that we can represent real life in this, like, repeatable record? Yeah. Um, he was opposing that in particular, being like, what else can we do? Like, let's fantasize about, yeah. like, different worlds we could create with this new medium. And it's really magical stuff. Like, yeah. true magic. Mm-hmm. I love the scene where they shoot the rocket. There's just like this ridiculously long like telescope barrel and they just like <laughs> shoot this little bullet out. But I was thinking about like Jeff Bezos going to space Fuck, in that same Yeah, yeah and it was just that. like yeah. like there's all of this like childlike wonderment and and like dreamy potential and then I'm just like thinking about Next where we are now. Project. Yeah, yeah. which is like Everyone's such a bummer. Going to space yeah. now, Jeff Bezos went, William, William Shatner. Shatner and what's his oh my face? God. the guy the sportsman with the gap in his teeth. He's going too or he went. What's his name? I don't care. I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I, I hate that trend, though. It's yeah. like, you know, we didn't grow up during the original moon landing, but I get the impression it just, like, captured the imagination of everyone to, like, yeah. see, yeah. like, humans, like, propelling themselves into outer space. And right. now 
all these years later, it just turned into capitalist vanity now, project. Yeah, now it's just grab. like we thought it was cool whenever people had Lamborghinis, but shit, have you been to the moon? Yeah, yeah. It's As like I've then, been you, to the then moon. you like super rich show off. So like going thing. to the moon has lost all yeah. appeal to me now. Yeah. But like watching this film, I was like, man, going to the moon, this is fun. <laughs> yeah. Like this is a yeah. fun version of going to the moon. This Who knows so what much, you might find? Yeah. Right. yeah. It's so much better than Jeff Bezos's <laughs> dick rocket. Right. I want to get a big moon medallion and <laughs> wear it. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, the next one I picked isn't any more serious. Oh uh, my God. <laughs> I'm only familiar with this movie through memes and creepypasta like posting on the internet. Oh my god. Uh, it's called The Dancing Pig from 1907. Oh, man. And that is the plot. There's a pig who dances. He's <laughs> a big This pig. is a, a goddamn nightmare. Oh, yeah, I yes. wanted like a 20 minute plot synopsis longer than the actual film. You know what? I love this movie. Uh, oh, it was, it was... I mean, I thought it was creepy as hell. I think there is a plot to it. And I think it is a fetish object, if I do say so yeah. myself. All right, yeah. let me hear it. Okay, so <laughs> this is the same thing as Melies, where like it's just a static camera on a stage. Like it's basically just like stage theater brought into this new medium. Mm-hmm. And the two main players, the only people who really interact with the camera, are a woman in kind of frilly underwear mm-hmm. and um, this man in a pig costume. <laughs> this giant, like basically sports mascot pig yeah. costume. Uh, that has many moving parts. He yeah. can wiggle his ears. His snout. Yeah, he can lift his, his snout to show his teeth. His very sharp teeth. Very sharp. And, his, and a lot so of them. Many So many sharp teeth. teeth. Like a crocodile. Yeah. There are moments where he pushes his arm through the tongue and then wags the tongue outside the head. <laughs> Don't like that. Uh, there's also this like pigtail that is like lower than it should be. It's like not above the anus. It's like in the anus. Yeah, it comes to, like out of the middle of the crack. Right. Oh, it's boy. all in there. I love that costume. It's wonderful. <laughs> it looks like a bunch of pillows. Yeah, yeah. it's very soft. Yeah. <laughs> Brandon wants wild. to melt into this pig. <laughs> Everyone wants to just snuggle with it. The only point of the movie is that the pig costume is cool, and they just want to show you how cool this thing yeah. they made is. <laughs> but again, that's enough. Yeah, yeah, I think it works. So what I think happened with this movie is I think they had this pig costume and they staged a few gags with it, mm-hmm. and I don't think the gags are supposed to be connected. But because movies ask you to build this logical succession of events, I think there is a plot to the movie. And it's a vaudeville routine where this pig bothers this young woman who wants to be left alone at a restaurant. He keeps, like, kind of pinching her ass. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And he's dressed like an aristocrat at the beginning. He's like a a wealthy Mm -hmm. corporate pig who is, like, bothering this young woman. And she shames him by stripping him nude and then making him dance. (laughs) And then feminizes him, makes him wear women's clothes, and then makes him dance more for her pleasure. And she yeah. laughs and dances and, and he humiliates has him. Good time too. Oh, the humiliation. And he enjoys he loves it. it. Yeah, he's flicking his tongue everywhere. Yeah. I think this is a femdom fetish object <laughs> where like the pig's getting off on the humiliation yeah. and the cross dressing. And you know what? I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so that tracks. Do y'all think that he ate her in the end? What? What no? no. That's not because he comes out without her. Like, they go back and he comes out and he does that weird, like, I'm showing my teeth. And it's like, ha, <laughs> And I'm like, oh, my God, she's dead. He ate her. That's <laughs> a good argument yeah. for the movie not having a plot is that at the end, they just bring the pig back out and show how the costume works. And right. eventually it's like, right. this is how you wiggle the ear. This is how you roll the eye. You could either think that is part of the story or 
I think it's like a blooper reel, like uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Credits, that's how like, I yeah. Like, Okay, well, I was like, said, God, she's like, dead. Look at this great thing we made, and now we're gonna show you how it works. Isn't yeah. that cool? Component. Look at those yeah. eyes rolling so in she's my still head. Alive. Yeah, maybe, okay. maybe. <laughs> I definitely thought she was in the position of power throughout yeah. the, uh, the story. Okay. Anyway, well, good. That's better than I thought. Fucking movie's gonna give me nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, it's so like fleshy. It just looks like yeah. a, like Mrs. Doubtfire's like fat suit. Yeah, there, there's something about that black and white. It feels like a snuff film or something. Mm-hmm. Where like it feels wrong watching it. His face looks so feral and like pointy. <sighs> And I don't know, just the way he like wiggles around, and when she like rips his clothes off, he's like, "Oh no!" And, then he, like, and he's like covering his, his like, little belly. And, yeah, like, his little. Yep. It's just like when he walks, and the way that that pillowy body moves with the with his like feet. Yeah. Oh, oh boy, man! I saw this on a big screen oh, at my sick. first year at Oberlin. So jealous! And they had a <laughs> they had like a little live orchestra playing music because it's a silent oh. film. And then it was it had a soundtrack to go, and I was like, "Where am I? And what is happening?" <laughs> it was so horrifying, but it, I do think it's very funny, <laughs> and just like people were just have been freaky for the entirety of mankind. Like this is a freaky pig costume, and I'm amazed that it was. Around 1907. Yeah, I don't think the forced feminization stuff is like an accident either. Like, I think yeah. the movie's playing with like fetish stuff yeah. too. But it is like a ridiculous caricature. Yeah. It's like she's doing it to like a human man. It's right. She's doing it to this giant sports mascot. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Speaking of silence, though, a lot of the movies, almost all of them are yeah. practically silent films. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of dialogue. You know, we start in the early 1900s, but by the time we get to the next movie, we're in the 1940s. You could mm-hmm. have sound, theoretically. Yeah. But I guess if you're making short films, you're making like art films. These are not commercial right. objects for the most part. And um, that's where like silent art continued, I guess. Like past when like talkies took over the industry. Yeah. Weirdos kept making silent movies because it's cheap and because um, <laughs> it's like kind of a that's classic cool. patina. Yeah. One I yeah. love, like eventually we're going to talk about an actual music video, essentially. But that's how a lot of these... Feel. It just feels like you're watching a long, you know, 15, 20 minute music video yeah. with very cool images. I think the next movie, I actually have a very specific person I thought the music video was for. <laughs> no guesses? <laughs> this is basically a Kate Bush music video. Oh, yeah. <laughs> without the soundtrack. That's oh, true. yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I was sure. thinking of like, like <laughs> I don't know why I thought the motels. Oh, that would work too. <laughs> okay. So um, this is my first pick. I picked uh, Meshes of the Afternoon. Uh, which was made in 1943 by a husband and wife pairing, Maya Darren and Alexander Hackenschmied, who later went by (laughs) Alexander Hamid. There is some controversy about who was the primary creator for this film, but most people agree that it was Maya. So this is a experimental um, black and white film. It was a silent film, and Maya's third husband eventually created a um, kind of Japanese-inspired score for it. Um, That was not in the version that we watched. Uh, So basically, this is kind of a dreamy catalog, surrealist cataloging of this woman's afternoon. She is following a man and um, goes to her house. 
focusing very specifically on like a couple of objects throughout the film. So there's like a key that appears over and over again. There's a knife, a telephone. So she goes into her house and she falls asleep. And then she dreams about coming back to her house following this hooded figure with a mirror for a face, which was very bizarre and like a very cool visual. Oh, yeah. She uh, goes back into the house. She like time and space is kind of distorted. Like she goes up a stairway and then she is suddenly like in her window going back into her bedroom. She sees herself sleeping. Knives turn into keys, which turn into knives. Like, <laughs> and she just it, like, it's kind of like this cyclical repetition. There are eventually like five versions of herself in this house. They have like a roommate meeting. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're all like putting keys on a table. The keys disappear and reappear. And it, it's kind of hard to assign meaning for me to anything in this movie, but there's a sense of unease and like the way that I feel when I watch this is when you, when it's like a hot afternoon and you're kind of like hazy and confused mm -hmm. and there's just this like kind of mounting sense of dread and violence and eventually her dream and reality kind of like break like the barrier breaks and she mm -hmm. she ends up dead on a sofa covered in kelp. Um, anyway, I uh, I saw this movie a long time ago. I actually went through a phase of like avidly seeking out short films. I was picking between this and uh, La Jete. Oh yeah, that which is also great film. Um, great film. Um, but yeah, I this film has really kind of stuck with me. I think it was very influential for a lot of people. I see like coherence in this film and like the triangle um, oh yeah time crimes yeah yeah and it feels like very lynchian mm -hmm. too like this really, is david lynch yeah, yeah for sure that, that's what really stuck out to me yeah like, as someone that really fell in love with like weird art house movies this felt like the foundation for all of that mm -hmm. and like like you were saying like films as you know sharing your dreams this movie perfectly captures like dream logic and just like you say you can't really assign it's like when you wake up from a dream and you try to figure out like what was that about and you're trying to assign meaning but it's kind of hard to do so like oh, this yeah. this like really gets at that and that's exactly what david lynch tries to yeah. get at yeah because yeah. kenneth anger was making weird art films like this in hollywood at the same time but like his stuff are very, is very ritualistic and like mm. actually has a purpose mm -hmm. where yeah. he's like trying to conjure some kind of magic through these like, sa yeah, it's like satanic dark magic. rituals. Yeah. 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 Uh, this isn't doing that. This is like actually like, what if you could go into a dream and like it, you cannot like dig your way out of yeah. it. You just keep going further and further down the rabbit hole. Yeah. It's well, terrifying. I mean, if it feels like when you have these like nightmares or dreams that blend into like, re you know, when you wait, I don't know, this happens to me a lot where I just kind of wake up and I'm like, is this happening? Like, I right. don't know. I have mm -hmm. to pee. Let me find the bathroom and I hope it's not real. I don't know why anybody naps. Naps always fuck you oh, up. Oh, yeah. I feel very <laughs> bad. Yeah. This is definitely a nap movie. Nap horror. Yeah. Nap, nap horror, horror for and sure. It, and it feels like when you, when you said the, the whole heat aspect of it, you were spot on with what I was feeling because this is what happens like when you take those like post hurricane naps where there's like yeah. electricity and everything's just like this weird hell 
You know, also reminded me of is like when you come home and something's just off because mm-hmm. she keeps arriving at her doorstep and like a window is open or like a record's already playing. Right. Or like a key falls off the table onto the ground. Right. You're like, how did that get there? Yeah. Or the phone's off the hook. Yeah. Like, it's just like when you come home and something's just off, you're like, so mm-hmm. was somebody in yeah. here? Right. I haven't had this happen, but I know friends who like houses have been robbed and like they've come home and they just noticed that stuff is slightly yeah. different than where they left it and they've described Oof. it as being like one of the eeriest oh, feelings oh for sure and that's sort of what this whole film felt like it was capturing that yeah um except like you like she is there's this hooded strange figure but it's also like she is her own intrusive force like she's doing things that she doesn't understand or like things are off the hook because she made it that way, like feeling yeah. alienated from yourself. Yeah. I, I thought if you're going to ascribe meaning to it, the fact that, that hooded figure has a mirror, mm-hmm. essentially it's her. And at the end it could be taken as like being a suicide or it's yeah. like her own psychological stuff that we're watching, which ultimately leads to her demise. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was so Great shit. so surprised at how um, modern this felt. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, really? Nineteen? What was it? Forty? Forty three? All of what? it? Yeah. Like the content, the way that she was dressed, and like, her, yeah. It honestly, like, someone could have said, "Oh, this was an art house film that someone made in like '98." Yeah. I would have been like, "Yeah, that makes sense." And it, it feels like so many, like Ingmar Bergman and Lynch, all these directors that I really admire. I'm like, this is totally. They had to have seen this oh, and been inspired. It's strange to think that that was pre all yeah. of that yeah. and not post. It's but just I, I feel like in insane. the 90s, by the time you were making these, people just called you like a pretentious snob. Yeah. And like, actually, she was like inventing cinema. Yeah. Like, no, for sure. Time. Yeah. She like really was like carving out new territory here. It's it's really f- fantastic. Yeah. And I, I really did mean that Kate Bush comparison <laughs> too. Like, I feel like there's a kind of logic in this movie that you only get to see in music videos now where people yes. engage with that kind of like reality falling from under you mm-hmm. feeling. And she was a dancer too, which that's like 90% of Kate Bush's like mm. aesthetic comes from her like interpretive dance moves just being like very odd in that like music video. This would have been right on the Dreaming album. No joke because the album cover for the yeah. Dreaming is Kate Bush's open mouth with a key on her tongue. Yes. And that's yeah. one of the images that repeats mm. in this like several uh-huh. times. Yeah. I could not stop thinking about her the whole time I watched this. <laughs> I think, too, we'll probably come back to this as far as, like, you know, running time. Like, these are short films. But, you know, I love these, like, 15, 20-minute yeah. surrealist run. T- you know, like, I think it would be hard to watch a two-hour movie that captured this energy. Oh, yeah. That mm-hmm. would annoy me. It would, but, like, at that 15-minute run time, it's perfect. And it's mm-hmm. just, like... That's what I really have dug about all these short films. Yeah, like I get we, that. we talk a lot about how like we like movies that are under an hour and a half. And this is even more like it's, a really condensed, like perfect little, you know, 15, 20 minute nugget of cinema. If it was any longer, it wouldn't be as impactful. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. yeah. I vibe with what you're saying. Cause after I saw this, I was like, Ooh, maybe I should watch more short films. Like, <laughs> you know, cause I, I feel like I got everything I needed and it was like the perfect, yeah. the perfect what? nugget. And mm-hmm. You can like take bigger risks. I think right, too. Yes. like if it's an hour and a half, like there's, you know, a whole committee and there's so much money, but if it's just yeah. like a 20 minute little experimental thing, you can really do some, 
crazy shit. I did not make it through all 12 hours of Twin Peaks The Return uh, <laughs> for that exact thing. I just yeah. found it exhausting and not fulfilling. Yeah. I feel like a lot of times, you know, especially with like art house films, like, you know, damn good and well, there's like, oh, fuck, we have to fill in like 20 minutes. Let's just whatever. Like, there's a lot of just thoughtless shit that it's put in and sometimes it works and I yeah. love it. But yeah, sometimes it just doesn't, just makes it boring. Yeah, I mean, during this, I was thinking, I was like, this is artsy fartsy bullshit, yeah. and I love it. Yep. Yeah, this is yeah, like it's the so kind good. Of shit it's a good that dope. I love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like even now, meshes of the afternoon is like more art house pretentiousness than most audiences will tolerate. But there is still like a sweet spot where like things can be a little arty. But like have to be kind of crowd pleasing at the same time. Yeah. And those things become very popular. So like you feel smart watching stuff that's not quite as challenging as Maya Darren's movies. But like the next movie we're gonna talk about, like it won at Cannes and it won mm-hmm. at the Oscars and is like considered a modern classic. Mm-hmm. And it's playing in the same like silent film area as a lot of these movies we're talking about. Uh-huh. But it is more accessible and like easier to understand, like mm-hmm. almost like a children's film. And we're talking about the red balloon from 1956 i believe yeah yeah and it's a classic and when we were talking about short films uh, you know once that we've seen this one immediately came to mind and it's extremely highly regarded and it's kind of this like perfect encapsulation of like lost innocence and youth you know it's just a boy with his red balloon walking around you know france and eventually the balloon gets lost and then he's carried away by a bunch of other balloons. But um, I think you're skipping over the core of what the movie's about, though. What do you mean? Like, it's not that the balloon, like, leaves him because he, like, grows up. It's like, well, this world destroyed. is, like, ugly. Yeah. And people are terrible. Well, and the, all the other boys in his life who are, like, more rough and tumble than him. Like, oh, my well, God. There, there, just so many nice. boys yeah. Yeah. converge. Well, the, the context, too, is, like, this is, like, post-World War Two, And... A lot of the imagery, and this is a beautiful film, but a lot of the images are so strong because you have this like very gray, mm-hmm. kind of gross-looking city, and this bright red balloon that this boy looks after, and the balloon in this art house way becomes sentient and starts to like kind of look after the boy in a weird way, and and yeah, you're right that it's not he doesn't lose the balloon because he like loses his innocence it's that the world around him is cynical and corrupt and they destroy that pure essence of Mm -hmm. childhood and watching this one i like i've seen it so many times that i kind of not that i was like checked out but i I was like okay i've seen this i know how it ends up but i tell you that like those final images of that balloon slowly oh my god losing and like it just made me feel exactly the way i felt it the first time I saw it. And it's such a beautiful encapsulation of like lost childhood. Mm-hmm. And it's just like that image of the shrinking balloon. And then the boy steps on it and finally like destroys it. It gets me every time. I had to wonder if that was planned or not. Like when they like slingshot at it, you would think the plan would be for the balloon to like pop. Yeah. But instead it like slowly drains. Like they put like a really tiny hole But I think that makes it. all the difference. Oh, it's such a slow, slow death. Yeah. Slow death. death and that, yeah. that is like when you realize like you're an adult and you're not a kid anymore. It's not like a a second 
split second process. It's like gradual. Yeah. Over time, like that lost innocence over time. God, I Man, it just it. like, it really is powerful. It's powerful stuff. And yeah. like, again, the cinematography and just the images of the balloon and the way it kind of moves and has a life of its own. And yeah, it, it's just pretty to look at. And the score is really good. And um, yeah, it, it's just kind of how I felt when I watched uh, 400 Blows yeah, mm, recently. Definitely. Just like, oh, yeah. oh, damn, this is like perfectly captures what it's trying to be a yeah. great duo to watch yeah. together. All of these yeah. institutions just hate Parisian children. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Like Antoine Donnell would have been the one to throw the rock at the balloon, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> totally <laughs> true. To lose no one will be happy. <laughs> He'd feel bad about it after, yeah. but he would definitely do it. <laughs> so how, how did y'all feel? Was it anyone's first time seeing this one? No. no it I was my it. first time. Oh. And I totally get what all y'all were saying. <laughs> that uh. stuff, you know, the symbolism, yeah. But for me... I don't know why, but it made me think of when I was little and I would like walk to the bus stop and stuff or when I would like play outside and like a stray cat would follow me around and then I would be like, oh, cool. And then my mom would be like, that can't come in the house. And I'm like, oh, it's like when his mom would let him put the balloon in the house. Mm -hmm. The balloon just chills. And then like you just have this. Right. It made me think of like stray animals and me when I was little. And then I kind of felt like. I don't know, made me have more emotion towards this mm-hmm. like super inanimate yeah. object. This balloon was charismatic as fuck. Oh, it has so yeah. much personality. <laughs> I don't know. There, there know. was a long casting process right. with that <laughs> this, balloon. Just the right balloon. I love oh. that little moment when they're at like the flea market and the balloon goes and like looks in the mirror. Yes. It's like, ooh, I look good. <laughs> that is a good looking balloon. Yeah. It's the most vibrant thing on the screen at all yeah. times. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think and you get a contrast at the end and all the other balloons come in to like carry the kid off. Like, yeah. Those balloons aren't as cool as No, the, they're the not. No, that the is best like balloon. bold and yeah. shiny yeah. and yeah. Yeah. I think that just the the choice to make that balloon this like beautiful vibrant mm-hmm. red. Like perfectly round. Perfect shape. Yeah, yeah. Like everything is yeah, so great. Yeah, that's like feels like kind of photography one oh one. It's like yeah. if we're gonna have this like gross kind of gray mm-hmm. looking city, well let's just to contrast, put the most beautiful right, balloon like you've ever seen. Yeah, right. And like, if our entire movie is going to revolve around a balloon, it has to be the perfect balloon. <laughs> and they they yeah. got the perfect balloon. Yeah. When I first started getting into, when I first found out what the Criterion collection was, like this was it. Like every time, I'm like, oh, what's all this Criterion stuff at Barnes and Noble? And I remember just always seeing this fucking red balloon, the red balloon, the red balloon. I never yeah. watched it. I think it has a commercial appeal mm-hmm. that, like, you can't whip out, like, some of the weirder shit in the Criterion Collection of people. Like, yeah. this is the one that you invite people through the door. Right. Yeah, this yeah, is, like, yeah, an yeah. art house film yeah. that you could, like, watch with yeah. your mom. Like, I showed this to my mom, and she would really like it. Yeah. And she doesn't like art house Yeah, it can't just be, films. here's the movie House. And the balloon is, like, itself is part of that. Like, yeah. <laughs> it has a personality. Really yes. simple puppetry where, like, there's an invisible string that the kid... Would yeah. hold, but obviously there's this like very thinner string that you're not seeing that they're like pulling oh. the balloon up and down and like yeah. pulling it out of his like arms reach. I kept reach. looking for that. Yeah, and, like I, I never really right. found how, it. How there's else would just, they have done? No, no, no. I, I thought know it was that balanced did. with the helium and the kids. Like they trained him. Uh, I mean, kids aren't that smart. Though. It's movie <laughs> magic. I don't want to yeah. like, break it down and too I th- much. But. I think you could <laughs> see like a little like bend, like a, the joint basically where this thinner string is attached i mean i i'm just saying i kept i was actively looking, looking for it for and strings. did not really see it so i felt like that was pretty 
good yeah and the way they make it move it's like it's very controlled and Mm -hmm. i I think there it is like a very like impressive feat of puppetry even though whatever they were doing must have been they could have been having like shit blowing in different angles true yeah yeah that's what i thought i thought there was some like science (laughs) yeah to it i don't know but overall like i i'm hearing you talk about this like personal loss of innocence and like that's never what i took away from this i always like just hated the other children. Oh yeah, <laughs> it wasn't like about him like maturing yeah. and like losing something from like his imagination. It was more like this world will beat all magic yeah, and like right. fragility yeah. out yeah. of you. And like there are kids who are more special than others. I don't know. It's basically like a queer bashing movie. Like they all ganged right. up on this kid because oh, yeah. he had this. You're like, different, right? Exactly. I, I, yeah. Just in the same way. Like 400 blows is about that too. Like yeah. It's like, not that he necessarily lost his innocence. It's like, he's a like imaginative, creative child and mm-hmm. other people and adults and systems of power kind of beat it out of him. Yeah. And that's like tragic. Yeah. And that happens to so many people. And it is a thing that helps him, like brings him comfort and helps him navigate through this like very cold landscape and also creates connection for him like when his balloon passes like the little blue balloon and they have a little moment and he has a little moment with the little girl and there is just this like overwhelming wave of people that cannot access that comfort and like seeing that comfort for someone else makes them angry and like they would rather destroy that than show any curiosity about it or yeah. like try to connect with it themselves. Yeah, and again with the like the World War post World War II thing too. It's like I can imagine a country that just went through this like war of ideologies and it's just like goddamn people just want to like love and be happy and stop like yeah. hurting and like killing other people's happiness. You like, know, we've we've watched a lot of post World War II kid movies yeah because the last episode that we had where we you know watched well cinema Cinema paradiso and 400 blows it was just all these you know post-world war ii kids like i don't know i never made the connection but a lot of these post-world war ii movies focus on children Mm -hmm. yeah i mean right yeah well i'm like it's a metaphor (laughs) for children are like this kind of perfect innocent yes. thing and then you know they turn into shitty adults and how does that happen yeah and and that you know world war ii was so damaging to like the idea of inherent goodness like there were people just committing these horrifically evil acts like there was a shift in consciousness after that and so like what does a child that was born around or after that like like exposure of evil. I mean, even though people were doing heinous shit for like the entire history of the world, but like, right. yeah, I mean, I think it's like a very strange time to be born into the world. Yeah. I will say too, if you think about this in combination with Lacabina, like mm-hmm. there are two movies that have empathy for the individual, but like disgust for human beings. In yeah. Mass. And, yeah. So like when you're looking at like a crowd of people, you're like, God, what a bunch of fucking animals. Right, yeah. <laughs> but if you're, like, looking at an individual person's plight, you have right. a lot more sympathy and, like... Oh, for sure. But isn't that... I mean, that's true, though. Yeah, Like, that's, that's how I feel. Yeah. Like, recently, me and Hannah, we went to the French Quarter, and we were... There was this wedding in Jackson Square, just a random open-to-anybody wedding, so we sat there, 
And like, we started talking to this older retired couple from Florida and like, we had this casual conversation and they said a few things where I'm like, okay, if we talked like politics or sat down and really mm-hmm. got into, you know, cause we were talking about the Confederate monuments and they like, didn't agree with them coming down. And we, I kind of steered the conversation in a different direction, but we ended up having like a really good talk and they were pleasant to talk to. And I was just thinking afterwards, like, these are the kind of people that I think that I don't like. Yeah. But if you really sit down on a human to human level with most people, you can connect. But if you think of them as like a political contingent where everyone in that age range with that mindset yeah. is yeah. basically controlling like how all polls go right now. Yeah. Like, yeah. Horrifying. Uh, it's bad. Yeah. And- like you look at them from a distance as a, a group and they're despicable. You talk to them on a person to person level and you can find right. some yeah. humanity well, there. That's and like, very true. Yeah. And a lot of it, it's like, they're just brainwashed to, yeah, the most part I, too. And they, yeah, in their mind, they think people. they're thinking the right thing. But in the red balloon, like when he goes to class, the kids coming out of the class all reach for the balloon mm-hmm. and they're trying to take it from him. And it's yeah. like, they all just want the balloon because it looks cool. Yeah. Like individually, it's not a problem. It's just like so much attention focused on this one beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why you got to keep all your beautiful things hidden. People yeah. 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 Never show your <laughs> gifts Do to anyone. Share. That's <laughs> why I like that. Well, you know, like think of it as, you know, expensive jewelry where it's, you know, you wear that out in public. People want right. to chop your finger off to get your ring. Right. So why have it? I've never had that experience. But. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I watch, I don't know, like a lot of like housewives and stuff. They're like, oh, this is my cubic zirconia one. I keep the real one in the safe. And I'm like, well, then why do you even have it? Why right. does it even exist? Like if you have something that's so beautiful that everybody yeah. wants, like why even have it? Why show it off? Mm. Keep the balloon at home. Right. Yeah. And all the adults in this movie <laughs> suck and they all like don't want anything to do with this balloon like get this balloon out of ah, my face this silly balloon. <laughs> i'm trying to do my chores yeah. over here. i just kept yeah. thinking about like balloon fetishists too like <laughs> oh, this is probably oh, like where a lot of people are like wow mm. can we just sit on that and pop it you that's know? the sequel to this movie <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the adult section yeah <laughs> deeper in the criterion collection <laughs> fill it up right. with farts and pop it on tv <laughs> and that, the Bunch last, people the last thing it. i will say about it though is like i felt so dumb because at the end he gets carried off by a bunch of balloons and i that was the director's son mm-hmm. in the film and i was like why would the director put his son in danger how dare he strap his son to all these he balloons? did it for art right and then i realized <laughs> like, brandon pointed out like that's just a dummy like a puppet right yeah. actually there was no son, it was the and i just felt incredibly dumb i watched this japanese game show where they <laughs> counted like the number of helium balloons it would take to lift a small chick into the air and it was so many balloons really? it would have taken yeah. so many more yeah. balloons okay. to lift that to child because sometimes i get scared when people like are going to a birthday party and they have too many balloons i'm like fuck like yeah. could that happen away. Yeah. My cynical thought watching this was like, I wonder how much balloon pollution this movie inspired. Because it is really <laughs> oh, whimsical oh to watch a balloon fly away. You're like, oh, yeah. wow, it's just going away forever. It's like, no, you're actually just polluting the yeah. water. Listen, a sea turtle is going to swallow the, it in there Cleveland. Were, yeah. And there was have like, you heard about it in Cleveland? There oh my was a God. big like, balloon release. Yeah. Oh, I remember so that. They, yeah, yeah, they and wanted it all to get ended up in the freaking river. Yeah, they wanted to get on the Guinness Book of World Records for something. So they were like, we're going to release the most balloons ever. And like, all of these children were tying balloons they had like band-aids all over their poor little fingers and the logical disaster right yeah all of the balloons went into like the river and there were two divers that went missing 
and the Coast Guard was trying to find them, and there were all of these fucking balloons Fuck. floating everywhere. Yeah, so they couldn't see anything. Um, so Cleveland uh, messed up yet again by trying to get them. bunch <laughs> a bunch of murderers. murderers. Yeah, I know right. the Mylar ones too. Um, will get caught up in power lines and basically start forest fires. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> they right. they're really bad for the environment. Yeah. <laughs> So fuck this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But see, that's the whole thing. You know, it was a simpler time when I didn't have to think about yeah. where yeah. the balloons were. What happened? Well, now that's why kids just have to suck the air out and then put in the trash. <laughs> so much lamer than I yeah. mean it's like way better but yeah I remember as a child like oh yeah release your balloons everyone and just imagining <laughs> like oh right, kids the air. now yeah poke a little hole and yeah. suck all the air don't, don't waste throw it in the garbage yeah. that oxygen yeah. deprivation is fun though like, that's oh, true totally. free beep, drugs beep, beep. Uh-huh. that's great well we do have one more movie about whimsical flying inanimate objects mm. oh yeah what a great segue <laughs> so we're jumping all <laughs> we're jumping all the way to 2011 whoa we Whoa, skipped yeah. the 70s yeah. and 80s like and 90s. Half a century, that's all. Right. So, yeah, whenever this I, this topic came up and I had to think about, you know, what's a really good short film that I've seen? Like, every short film that I've seen that I really liked has been animated. Hmm. And I thought that this was a really good one. Um, it's the Fanta- Fantastic Flying Books of Mr. Morris Lesmore. And this came up immediately because i remember what a big deal it was i went to see the oscars at britannia when this came out and people were losing their shit when whenever this won for like best um animated short you mentioned pixar earlier i feel like this is when most people watch shorts now is like those packages yeah that play like amc and britannia every year um that are like all the oscar nominated animated films yeah I was fighting between this and then a, a true Pixar chart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the, uh, to do a Pixar chart. I was, it was between this and Kit Bull, about the kitten and Pitbull that become friends. <gasps> it sounds adorable. It's good, but it's super emotional. Well, this is emotional too, <laughs> shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this was a huge deal because it was a big win for Louisiana. It's um, This came from moonbot production studios which is in shreveport and this is based on a a children's book written by a man from shreveport who also you know produced and helped direct this and with the animation and all that good stuff so yeah it is morris lesmore is just this really chill like buster keatney sweet looking little dude likes to hang out in his like you know french quarter deck and write books and then a storm comes through which is it's this metaphor for hurricane katrina and it it kind of has this wizard of oz moment where yeah like the storm blows through and everyone gets blown away and everything is black and white um and all his writing and his book is scattered too like he loses that as well and everything is black and white until you know one day this woman shows up and she's flying in the sky with these books like balloons and gives him one which is like this like humpty dumpty book and the book kind of helps guide him to this public library and he becomes the caretaker at this public library where it is that's where he becomes colorful again and everything is colorful there nothing is black and white anymore and people start to show up in black and white and as he hands them a flying book their color comes back and these are kind of you know displaced folks from the storm it's just really sweet. You know, he kind of starts repairing books and he's going back to writing his own book and having these relationships with all these magical flying books. And it's just this beautiful, like whimsical lifetime that we kind of witness. And, 
he eventually finishes the book he's writing and he's super old and he walks out. It's kind of like his life is ending once he finishes his book. It's like depressing, but also beautiful. And Humpty Dumpty also aged a little bit too. So he walks out and the the flying books kind of surround him and he becomes young again. And then he becomes the flying person with all the flying books carrying him, just like the woman prior to. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it's a pretty cute, very light. It's a light take on a very, like, dark emotional subject, Mm -hmm. but I think it does it justice i don't know i didn't find it was exploitive or cheesy or anything like that <laughs> i did I, or did you i thought it was so awful oh, I, shit. I hated this <laughs> oh my god. Oh, god it felt like such a psa for reading it's just like i don't uh, know i guess i'm a, I, okay i'm a big children's book fan yeah um like big i don't know i love them I wanted to like write them for a while and I started going to classes and stuff. And mm. um, it was around the time that this got big too. So maybe that's why. I just think it's, I, I guess like if you have a child and you kind of want to explain something horrific to them, like mm-hmm. maybe this is a way okay. to ease it. And I think that's kind of the, the I don't I, know. I wasn't thinking of children when I watched this. I was I thinking was. of like elderly people who love Oscars shit and like only watch like Oscar nominated movies <laughs> sitting there and be like it was nice it was different it was unusual uh, <laughs> it was nice different unusual <laughs> yeah I mean the like symbolism was pretty on the nose and it's just like reading adds color to your life and it's on reading the nose, is good but it also fundamentally misunderstands Katrina and like hurricane well, devastation that, well that too yeah it's like saying that what, like reading and learning can <laughs> elevate people through a horrific hurricane that devastated the city. Like, and it's like I the hurricane so. wasn't bad yeah. to the point that it blew the city away. No, the hurricane it, yeah. exposed a weakness in a systematic failure. Like right. it was a man-made disaster. But how do the you levies fail? it to kids, <laughs> but, but Brandon. Book, you have but to books, give them Mr. books Morris and reading <laughs> aren't going to get us out of that situation. I will say, this is a personal failing of mine. Um, <laughs> I am a cynical asshole. <laughs> and even like Cinema Paradiso, when we talked about yeah. it recently, that was pushing how much I could hold my cynicism at bay. Mm-hmm. And I really like that movie, but like it's almost to the tipping point where I'm like, fuck the schmaltz. Right. I think just because there's a cutesifying of Katrina in particular in a lot of different media, yeah. that like it automatically gets my hackles up. And like... For this to turn that into a source of whimsy pisses me off. But like other people lobbed that same complaint at um Beast of the Southern Beast Wild. of the Southern Wild. And it oh, didn't yeah. bother like me in Beast that of case. The Southern Wild. But it bothers me here. I just people. don't think you needed to bring up Katrina at all in this film. Yeah. It could just be about the joy of reading. And reading is great and you I can explore at it as new like, worlds. Shit, you and- get displaced, but there's always like a library or something, some kind of comfort zone or something that is universal or it's like your your world is so messed up if you can escape into humpty dumpty <laughs> then, which that's what i didn't like either it's like humpty dumpty isn't gonna make me forget yeah. that my house got blown and over humpty dumpty like, just like freaks me out a little bit uh, yeah like of all the what's he up to yeah <laughs> he's, a, he's a big egg, egg. very big egg but yeah i don't know i just kind of thought it would sh- i don't know it could have been made about McDonald's in a way, like how it, some something familiar that exists everywhere, like public libraries, McDonald's. I love books. I, yeah, nice stores and so I don't and know. I it just kind of is the like public library system yeah. too. Yeah. Like 
I need them. I, can, I honestly could <laughs> yeah. not afford to keep up with this podcast and the website if I didn't have the library. Yeah. It's just like, I was not thinking of kids. I was thinking of people who respect the kids. Oscars. And like, or that shit. I was like, of course this fucking bullshit won the fucking Oscar. Like, fuck this <laughs> man. I will say, like, also, it was like the 10th anniversary of Katrina where this oh, did come no. out, too. Oh, it no. feels like yeah. it, it would just be, like, repeated on PBS, like, at all hours. I think hours it might have. Yeah, <laughs> it feels like a PBS yeah. thing, which is fine. But I, I think I agree with Brandon on this one. <laughs> I'm just saying it, it bothered me. <laughs> I appreciate it more so for, like, the animation, because it yeah. does combine, like, regular animation, but, like, miniatures, too, and yeah. I don't know. I thought it was kind of funky. I read he also designed stuff for Pixar, too. Like, he did a lot of character mm. designs yeah. for some of their movies so, back yeah. in the 2000s. Interesting animated short. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Love, it's like the me and Brandon. And honest to God, oh. like, I don't know. I'm not a fan of like Hurricane Katrina-esque anything. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I just it's think not it's, a fun memory. <laughs> well, it's just kind of like but people people try to capitalize off books. of it who didn't experience it. Like, they're yeah. like, oh, yeah. NOLA life and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like... Okay, like what you had two inches of water in your house that fucking dried right. up. I mean, it's fine if we're gonna talk about Katrina, okay. but I don't want to see a dude on flying books. I like. like the, I know. I did like the flying the book, man. <laughs> it reminded me of the page master a little bit. If he just had like seasonal depression and the books brought him out of it, I probably wouldn't have gone in like so like yeah. ready to be mad. Yeah, uh, but I also yeah. imagine like imagine you're in the 30s and you live in Kansas and like half your family died in a, a, a tornado and then you watch the Wizard, Wizard of Oz you're like what the fuck is this oh my Wizard god yeah I get it well, man they, like they just had those massive tornadoes and like went through Missouri yeah. and like 50 to 100 people died but imagine turning that into like yeah that was awful but go read some books and that will get <laughs> yeah. you out of no dep- I guess no. so no this is a good discussion too because I feel like storms get sensationalized mm-hmm. like you know, I understand, like, Katrina was bizarre, but, like, people t- are still talking about it, and it's been 20 years, but, like, so many other horrible storms have, like, ruined lives, and, like, people already forgot about Ida, that and it ruined the fucking in, um, bayou, and I'm like, all right, sorry yeah. it wasn't a big city. That aggravated me in Come On, Come On, the new Mike Mills movie. There's a scene where they interview this kid, and it's for, like, an NPR-type radio yeah. show. And it's a real it's a real kid that they're interviewing for this, like, fictional movie, and they ask him about Katrina, and the kid's, like, 10 years old. And it's like, he was not alive for that. Yeah. And yeah. he's lived through several other hurricanes you could ask about. Right. I know. It's but that's weird. the one that people go to. But that also came up when we talked about the 9-11 movies. Like, how much time needs to take place before we can like, deal have, with it? Yeah. Deal with. And like, Katrina was 20 years ago, but like, I still don't really know if I have the stomach for a Katrina. I guess because I love this city so much. Like, I don't want to see it turned into a, a movie. Yeah. And especially not this movie. <laughs> about, like, flying yeah. books. Like, yeah. yeah, I'm good. I think, like, a big difference between, like, this and the beast of the Southern Wild. <laughs> I'm, sorry, of, I'm so sorry. Of, <laughs> yeah, we're so bad. Yeah. No, it's okay. And I do, people. like, I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, and I do think it, it was important to have a film like this in this episode because like there is always yeah. a film Thank like you. this in the oscars they are like a little cloying and then they can range from like impactful to basically like this is hitting some trigger spots that we can get some buzz about um mm-hmm. but like beast of the southern wild was making this uh, making katrina like 
it was like a fantastic version of that, but it's because it was from the perspective of a child, which, mm-hmm. it, and it's like, I think like you're towing a line there, but a child is going to have a particular experience of those kinds of events. And I think that's like a totally valuable place to plumb but this was like i mean it kind of turned like i barely even realized that it was katrina it was like this goofy tornado and then there's like uh like the buildings are white and we're gonna open up the bookshop uh, or sorry the the municipal (laughs) library it is important to talk to children about these things but then that also like it takes away like any actual real information about what happened like it's actually not communicative yeah like beasts of the southern wild actually dealt with the fact that there was a flood water it was the government's fault and then they abandoned the people here to like deal with it yeah <laughs> like uh right. this does not do any of that yeah yeah so it's, I- it's like two, it's like two <laughs> different like should just left katrina out of it. like i well, want I kids to read like, part of i want kids like, to I'm, read humpty yeah. dumpty <laughs> You know, I love you should have just been about the importance of Humpty Dumpty. Yeah. And yeah, it goes the same thing. Reading in libraries, that's, yeah. Of course, and I, I d- can't argue yeah, with that. I do like. Okay, I like that little part where we, that that like Jules Verne book. Yeah, falls, and, he, like, yeah. and he's like, it. I don't know. Like there's so there are sweet moments like that. It, yeah. I guess it's like you can have this like this movie or this short film that is geared towards like, ooh, the magic of reading for children. And it doesn't have to be connected to like, yeah, uh, like a major disaster. I kind of loved the just, I mean, the cool part of this is when he's like in the library and just living with these books alone. Yeah. I think that that's (laughs) like a very Which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm jealous. And there's little friends. But yeah, so interesting. I'm glad that I brought this into into Swamp Flags. Um, and it is weird that I pick it because, like I said, like I hate Hurricane Katrina stuff. In general. Well, I mean, it came out of Shreveport, but it's not like some dude from like Seattle right, made right. this movie about Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. You know, it's like it was a local <laughs> you know, idea. To make I think this that works, that's um, Bobby Jindal. Congratulations! Oh, he loved it. <laughs> oh, Bobby Jindal loved it. Oh my god! Okay, this is a Bobby Jindal pick. It, Bobby Jindal approved. Okay, to be fair. He was governor at the time, and you just say shit when you're governor. You're oh, like, he's like, cool, oh, so what's Louisiana got good publicity this weekend. Great. Yeah. But also, fuck Bobby Jindal. Well, fuck him. Yeah, yeah. Fuck I shouldn't him. give him any credit, but anyway. Don't yeah, give man. him any credit, Brittany. I doubt he watched this, is pretty much my... <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brittany, I'm sorry that that was a dog pile on this <laughs> short film. About, and I do about feel the joy like, of reading and in it, libraries, but it definitely, which we all agree. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it was... Uh, I still think it was an interesting short to talk yeah. about. God, I should have fucking picked Kit Bull. <laughs> I was almost Wait, about where, to pick Kit Bull. Constantly repeating, was it Pop Goes the Weasel? Yeah. Pop Goes the Weasel with the Humpty Dumpty <laughs> and the flying books and the Katrina. Yeah, I just couldn't do it. Sorry. <laughs> I do think it was illustrative of like where people watch shorts now though. Yeah, totally. Yeah, um, that's a good point. And yeah. so was your next pick as well. Yes, yeah, so next pick I did not pick this because of, um, God, I can't even think of the fucking band right now. Arcade Fire. Arcade Fire. I picked it because I fucking love Tony Collette. Yes. When I was like trying to figure out like, hey, what are some other short films? And it's like, oh, Tony Collette was in a short film. Cool. And that's why I picked it. Also, I mean, I don't hate Arcade Fire. I'm just not like a, 
Creed Fire. Right. Yeah. Is it weird that I cared way less about them as soon as they moved to New Orleans? I was like, I don't care about you anymore. And they're like, oh, they got Came Fire second line. <laughs> yeah, they like, started their own no. marching their crew. Their first few albums, I think it just hit at the right time. Hit at the right time. Like when I was like a sophomore in college, like that funeral <sighs> album. Dude, that was like my shit for years. I liked them and then people made it weird because it was like in college when I started listening to them like oh this is fun and then like all the the college kids who were like who tried to feel like i guess like the oh i'm poor and i'm i'm a hippy dippy but i'm gonna be super fucking mean to you all the time like this was what they like yeah listen to and i'm like oh god so it's like that weird uncomfortable like i was never cool enough to be an arcade fire person but i've always been cool enough to be a tony collette fan (laughs) yeah no there there's something like when Win Butler, you know, he's like the main the guy. Man. Like, yeah. the more and more, like, he did interviews and he was like a celebrity, the less I liked the band. Like, I just didn't really. He was like the quintessential, like, hipster yeah. to me. And, like, when their first album came out, like, I didn't know anything about them as people. But now he's like a celebrity. And the music is kind of like it got lazy. It's very lazy. strange. Like just, I feel like the but I actually same. Like the songs, yeah, this. me too. We're, we're good, yeah. The same vibe that goes off of the Arcade Fire New Orleans connection is like it's the same people that go to that red dress run. Yes, you know what I mean. Oh, like they're, totally. they were at that second line. It's like when you totally. went to go see Animal Collective in like two thousand eight, two thousand seven, and it was like. Why is everyone here a bro in a tank top? <laughs> like, what changed? Uh, <laughs> but like, remember we went and saw them in Chicago. Yeah, and that was the vibe. Neon tank tops, as far as the eye could see. Ah. But it's weird. Yeah, I guess and that chubbies. was like in the, the middle of their career. Oh, yeah, boy. After they got big. But oh, anyway. man. But yeah, so I, like I said, I picked this because Tony Collette's in it. And she's kind of like a... Her character in here reminds me so much of her character in Velvet Buzzsaw a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's just like this mean old business bitch, which is pretty cool. Turns out she doesn't have a lot to do with this other than like being the business exec in the mm-hmm. beginning, but still plays a pretty prominent role. So what this is, is essentially two music videos. Um, and it's two songs by Arcade Fire. So one of them is uh, Put Your Money On Me. And the other is We Don't Deserve Love. And together they're called Money Plus Love. Like Knife Plus Heart? Yeah. <laughs> I thought of that too. And I was like, how do you tell people? Like, it's it's not knife and, it's yeah. plus. plus. But plus does mean and. Anyways, um, so they sort of are like a bankrupt band. And like Tony Collette's their big mean corporate executive lady that signs them onto this contract mm-hmm. where it's like hey you have to do some serial commercials and car commercials and play at casinos yeah what is um, that what is the company is it everything, everything now? now everything yeah. now which was like the album name i believe so they start off by playing this like casino show and it's kind of quirky and funny and they're doing the put your money on me song and there's like an ad for a cereal that's just all marshmallows and some kind of soda pop, I think, as well, and like a car commercial. And then there's all kinds of symbolism, blah, 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 record industry stuff that I really don't care about that much. Yeah, it's like a satire about the record industry owning the band. And it's like, okay, but like you're still rich at the end of the day, so I really don't care. <laughs> well, and they've done those kind of corporate sponsor things. Like, I don't know. That's what it's so weird. They're like satirizing it. Right. But I know but that I'm like, but you're doing Fire it. Done that. Yeah, they probably got 
sponsor do that so second I guess they line. They feel like conflicted about it. Maybe so. But they're still millionaires. Um, so. But w- the cool part is like when it turns into like a heist movie a little bit. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of fun. Kind of like Ocean's Eleven y, where they um, <laughs> steal a bunch of money from a coffin, which I'm like, oh, God, like Jesus Christ. And they have like this Illuminati thing on top of it. So they steal the money and then the cops kind of grab each band member at a time. And then the last one left is the lead singer, dude. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of like on the run with this duffel bag of cash um, while everybody else is in prison. And that's kind of when the part do and the second (laughs) song starts playing. And yeah, he eventually morphs back to being in prison because I guess they just are so imprisoned with their art. Um, <laughs> that they just can never escape oh. it so yeah i don't know like i thought it was fun and i i liked that it was a mu- the music video version of a short film because we've had this yeah. discussion before with girl walk all day well we've had arguments me and james yeah. have me, cut out of episodes gone, oh yeah we've yeah. gone into this like pretty frequently is this a short film is well gonna okay, be the question that- here's here's the argument that we've had before is <laughs> The Academy of Motion Pictures, like their cutoff for like what makes a movie is 40 minutes. And I have seen theatrically distributed visual albums, quote unquote, that are like 40 minutes to an hour of music videos strung together in a loose narrative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like Lemonade is the biggest one yeah. that most people would know. Um, since oh, yeah. then, Solange did a really great one called When I Get Home that yeah. made yeah. my best of the year list. And, and also computer, Dirty Computer, computer. Right. from um, Janelle Monet. Fantastic movies, and I think they work as full-length yeah. feature films. This one is like halfway there. It's like halfway between a standard yeah. music video and one of those like more plotty. What I'm saying, mid-length is like, movies. Like, what is the cutoff? We're talking about short films. Like, that's you know the theme of this episode. Wouldn't a lot of like longer music videos, by that logic, be considered yes. short films? Yeah. Well, I think when we're talking about like how do we interact with short films nowadays like we're not going to the theater i mean I'm, i just named right. a couple examples where i saw them in the theater yeah but like we're not going to the theater to watch shorts unless you go to a film festival and you watch a short yeah. package or a shorter movie sometime will have a short film tacked on yeah it's so like yeah, yeah. i saw this movie called girl asleep that was very good but it was only 70 minutes and they tacked on this like four minute animated short at the beginning to like make it a longer film mm-hmm. so you'll yeah. feel kind of ripped off if they go to a movie and it's less than 90 minutes i think that's stupid i don't mind getting out in an hour that's fine yeah but like on a daily basis we interact with short films all the time and they're mostly advertisements yeah and also music videos so like there are like weird surrealist ads you'll see on tv you're like what the fuck was that even an ad for and like i don't think that's not a short film well, well okay it, but yeah. also music videos are also advertisements and True. this one is making fun of that like yeah. They're they're like we have to promote this album by making a short film. That is like something the record label requires of us. Mm-hmm. How can we make this more of an advertisement? And they start advertising fake stuff in the thing, which has been done before. Like even I'm thinking like off the top of my head like the Foo Fighters and that Mentos commercial video oh, yeah, they did like yeah. back in the day. Bands have been been reluctant to do this all the time. Like I don't want to be on camera and promoting myself with my image. Like the music speaks for itself, man. Right. Uh and like <laughs> But they are ads, and yeah. we watch ads all the time, and I feel like that is the most exposure we get to shorts on like a daily, like practical basis. Mm-hmm. And there's an art to but, it. No, like, I, there is, and that's like really interesting because yeah, when we're talking about short films, like short films, art commercial. Yeah, yeah. I, think I mean, they are. Yeah, yeah, I think that like when I was 
Before I knew what the parameters were for the films that we pick, which is basically yeah. that there were no parameters, except they have to be less than 45 40 minutes. minutes. 40 yeah. minutes, yeah. The time. That I was, was like, okay, I need to pick like 20 minute films or two. And then I looked at some of the films that had already be picked and like, we have a four minute film about a dancing pig, you know, and <laughs> yeah. that's a short, and that is like critically recognized as a short film. It might also be pornography. That's right. <laughs> yeah, there's like commercials we've seen recently. That are the trippiest. I'm like, whoa, that's some like weird, absurd, surreal shit. And it's like, what, two minutes long? But yeah. And Marion Cotillard selling you perfume. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah, those perfume ones. Like, yeah, I think if we were doing this episode and I would have picked, like, oh, yeah, that Snickers commercial from early 2000, oh, yeah. how would you have. I, I would have thought that was an interesting that? contribution. And I think. Hmm. This I like that you picked this. I like yeah, that you picked this not because I liked it, and I I don't think it's like a great music video no. in particular. I actually, yeah. I but like as a the, music video, video and as an advertisement, I think it brings a lot to the context of what a short film is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know, honestly, like the only part of this that was kind of neat, other than like Tony Collette's appearance and her um, blessing the screen with her presence. <laughs> Is just like the when it gets to like that like heist part of, in the middle is kind of like oh that's kind of fun like you know what a twist I wouldn't have expected yeah. that but I didn't care about like all the weird advertising right. stuff in the beginning. I actually really liked that first song. Yeah, me too. I, I've kind of slept on Arcade Fire for a long time now, but that first song was like damn that was pretty good. Yeah, I, I feel it. like their music a lot is like, I'll play it while I'm like cleaning my house or something where mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, it just has like a nice melody to it. Um, but I wouldn't be like, I'm going to you know, spend yeah. money to go see them live and I'm going to buy their stuff. Yeah, I've never really listened to them. Like there is just always something keeping me from trying them out. But um, yeah, I I liked this first song. I I mean, even though this idea has been done over and over again, I just like I don't know. I always kind of enjoy watching like extremely obvious like corporate satires, like and the like the fake advertising. Mm-hmm. Like I always kind of get a kick out of it, no matter how it's executed. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I thought that it was a very cool pick for like fleshing out you know like brandon said what is a short film i think if someone had brought a music video or an advertisement to the table it would have fit in yeah this one just happens to be both yeah like current music videos are becoming more like short films like there's a you know some of them even have like a five or six minute lead before the music even starts where they're like having this whole story being primed up but i mean it does okay so you know if we're Picking short films, yeah. we're okay with commercials. Yes. We're okay with you know music videos, but let's say um, like a really great episode of TV show, whatever. Like a great episode of like Black Mirror, which is like its own little yeah. condensed film. If it's self-contained and not part of a larger work, I don't see why not. Yeah. If you had brought like a really cool TikTok, I would have at least right. thought that was like an interesting. Mm. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, trying to define the boundaries of what this is, but but like for a feat like. For a feature film, it's pretty clear what the parameters are. For a short film... I disagree with that, too, though. <laughs> I mean... What do you mean? Like, I I feel like if something is over 40 minutes and it's presented as a film. Like, it's all about the presentation. So, like, an episode of Black Mirror is presented to you as television. It, it's like, we made this for a TV series. It's to air on TV. 
and we're calling yeah, it. We're calling it an episode it on of a ta- screen. It might as well be or like a film. Tell, yeah. But you're having the same argument that like fucking like Dada's had in the 20s when they're like, I put this toilet in an art gallery and I signed my name on it. Now it's art. And it's like, I guess I have to deal with it that way now. You put it in an True. art gallery and called it art. Now I have to deal with this like found object piece that you signed. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I don't think it's any different for like um, this year. Halsey had an hour long music video that did not premiere on YouTube. It didn't premiere on MTV. It premiered on HBO Max and was presented as a movie. You yeah. have to deal with it as a movie. Like that's just how she's presenting it. Whether or not you think it's a substantial work of art and lives up to like the standards of what a good I movie is to like you. cinema yeah. or film to be. That's a personal metric. It doesn't matter what your mm. personal thing is. Well, it's like how the well, artist a, is presenting it in the well, context. Well, I guess for me personally, it's like for a feature-length film, I'm more adamant about what my parameters are for a short film. I have much less parameters. Where it's like it, <laughs> yeah, I, a commercial, a music video, it's all fair game when it comes to like short film. But when we're talking about like a film, a feature length film. So what do you do with that Halsey visual album? I don't know. You just don't deal with it at all? No, it's it's tough. I'm just saying <laughs> well, it's it like, seems like something we can, I wrestle with internally. We could take this back to Trip to the Moon where it's like a film is just like do it a, the fucking one. Right? And yeah. like, no, true. Put and a like, bunch of shit on it's there. It's all moving pictures. And yeah. yeah, call it that. But I feel yeah. like kind of <laughs> like I, I totally get that theoretically, but I'm still like yeah. a little antiquated. We're like, no, a film has to be X, Y, and Z. And- even that, I don't know, maybe because I'm an uh, an old fart. Even that forty <laughs> minute heart. distinction is completely arbitrary. Like I picked the metric of the Academy, like the American yeah. Academy of Motion Pictures said, right. forty minutes. You're a feature film now. Who the fuck are they? They don't get to decide that. Like also, that's a stupid. Me- why is that the? I would think oh, like over an hour <sighs> or like. But why does it matter? It doesn't matter. Or like um, deciding what year a movie's releases. Like mm-hmm. we're in the middle of list making season where all these critics yes. are submitting their best of the year True. list. Most of the ones at the top are movies that no one has seen yet yeah. besides critics at festivals because they had screeners and their um, publishers paid for them to fly to fucking France to watch right. it on the big screen. The rest of us plebes watch it in the next few months. <laughs> so technically they're 2022 movies to us. The metric is completely arbitrary. It doesn't. Yeah. It's it's all bullshit. If the music video is good enough, yeah, it is a piece of art. It's worth sharing around. Um, it really doesn't matter what category you sneak it into. <laughs> like as long right, as you if can you try like, to call it a film or a short film or a, yeah, who gives a, a shit? Animated short or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's all art, and if it's good, it's good. Yeah, we all shit ourselves when we die. Uh, nothing <laughs> matters. <laughs> We're I don't all, know what I'm saying. Oh I'm just saying, like, uh, all, we all have our own Pixar shorts. We're doing this podcast, and we're, you know, not that any of us are really claiming to be critics, but if you're passionate about something and you're going to write reviews and do a podcast, like, you should have an opinion yeah. about it. It's just an arbitrary metric, is what I'm saying. I'm not saying. I'm saying you should have one, but it doesn't matter what but it I'm, is. And I'm yeah. saying that it's fun to debate it. And it's like ultimately meaningless, but it's fun yeah. to like, where is your boundary of what is a film? What is a short film? Imagine what the, the folks who made that like 45 minute shit, like, you know, they were at this round table for right, fucking days. Argument. Of course. Yeah. Just like, like doing this yeah. over and over again until they're like, God damn it. Like, well, what if it's <laughs> what 30, can I put out there? 39 minutes. Say what it is. The Academy, yeah. like, what if we start allowing commercials to be in our short film? Well, 
also, categories. A Trip to the Moon, when that came out, it was 15 minutes long, and people thought that was an excessive length for a movie. Yeah. Like, it wasn't until the 1910s that movies over 10 minutes were the standard. Yeah. Right. People were like, this is like a lavish, ridiculously long production. Why do movies <laughs> need to be this long? Right. It's 15 minutes. Jesus. <laughs> Which, like, by our modern standards. Yeah, you're lucky to get out in three so hours. Fast. Yeah. We do have another one testing those boundaries a little Final, bit. Yeah, yeah. I know. Because yeah. it was made for television. Yeah. So my final pick, um, this is the film that I had not seen, um, was Opal. It was released in 2020 by Jack Stauber. He's kind of like, it's. I was not familiar with him, but it seems like he has a pretty, like, he's a little cult following, especially on YouTube. Like, he, he's uh-huh. made a lot of, like, short YouTube videos. Um, but I just went to Letterboxd and I typed in, like, oh, lists of short films and this one is about a little girl who has a very happy life and is told by her parents that she um, cannot go to the into the house across the street and she does and she finds um, unspeakable horrors so it's a mix of like claymation and like 3D modeling and stop yeah. motion. It's a, it's a weird it's kind. So of, fucking cool. Yeah, people the people look like they're made out of these like big thick clumps of clay that have just been slapped together. Um, Opal, uh, the little girl, is like so scared and so <laughs> cute. But so I picked this movie or this short film because. It's it's like an Adult Swim short. Yeah. And Adult Swim was making these like little short films in I think it was the 2000s. Like there's this short called Unedited Footage of a Bear. And that was a parody of a commercial. Yeah, right. So it's like footage of a bear and then it goes to a commercial break in the middle of the YouTube video and then it's like advertising this medication. And this woman goes insane. It also reminded me a little bit of Meshes of the Afternoon. But, like, I think most of the short films that I see are by these, like, content creators on YouTube. Or, like, you know, like, people that do sketch comedy. Like, they have a little skit. Like, you know, Mm. comedy is a genre of film that could be a short film. And, like, SNL skits, for instance. Mm -hmm. So So this is, like, this very short film. Um, It's comprised of four songs it's mostly songs kind of a musical yeah it is kind of a musical like so opal goes into this house and there are these like funhouse mirror versions of her family like this she has a mother and a father and a grandfather and the grandfather they're all like very sweet she goes into this nightmare house her grandfather is like smoking and blind and he's like sitting at the tv and like coughing up blood and he's like, you know, and they keep calling her Claire. He's saying like, oh, Claire, you know, it's evil to help somebody who doesn't want to be. He's just like this horrible monster. He sings a song about like how easy it is to breathe on TV. Because he is a smoker. And can't yeah, breathe he can't all. breathe. <laughs> um, then she goes, she runs up the stairs. She finds a horrible version of her father who is um, like obsessed with himself he's surrounded by mirrors um he sings a song about how basically how vain he is and he's crafting himself into the perfect person um and then she goes up one more flight she finds her mother who's this like emaciated skeletal 
um, alcoholic. That crossdresser, maybe. Yeah, because and Jack Stauber is doing the voices for everybody in this film, so that's kind of. I mean, there's like an eerie connection between all these people, and it turns out that Opal's like idyllic life shown in the beginning of the film is like her. It's like a manifestation of this burger advertisement that she sees outside of her window of this like very happy family Hmm. she is claire and she has um like a horrible toxic life and she's the idyllic life is this coping mechanism um that she's formed to stay sane basically so it like had (laughs) that's a lot yeah Yeah. (laughs) and it's it's i think it's like 12 minutes long it definitely had some threads of like Requiem for a Dream. It also kind of, it was like kind of like a nightmare version of my life as a zucchini. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. And I just, I thought it was visually very interesting. It's like kind of reminds me of the like hodgepodge of like digital effects and like kind of this manic presentation that you saw in a lot of like, Early YouTube videos from the 2000s. I got like 90s Nickelodeon vibes. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, that that like show Inside Kablam. Out Boy too. Yeah, th- yeah, those were shorts. Um, but the show Kablam, that was just like vignettes yeah, of different shorts. Yeah. Also, like the Penny cartoons from Pee Wee's Playhouse, and like yeah, that kind of old version of like stop motion. That was obviously like someone commissioned by an, a professional show, but they were just making it in their house. Yeah, like very. It felt like very bare bones, and the production quality is also like it doesn't really feel like it's from 2020 it feels like vhs yeah yeah exactly yeah um yeah but i mean it's it's not a new story or a new idea but just the way that it was presented felt like very um it was like really grotesque and interesting i was literally shocked when i found out that she wasn't the hamburger girl yeah i don't know i thought it was a like uniquely american interpretation of like that lost in- innocence thing mm-hmm. we talked about with like red balloon and 400 blows oh, yeah. right but this felt like distinctly american in how much it was about like addiction right and obsessing over like your body yeah vanity and, like, vanity yeah and just like also advertisements and marketing oh, yeah. mm-hmm. like it to me was essentially about the same thing but it was way darker and, and more disgusting. Neglect. Yeah, right, neglect yeah. And just yeah. like, so oh, man. it's like getting at the same thing, but it's like our version of it and our version of it is like way more grotesque. Mm-hmm. And that, like you said, with the stop motion and the puppetry, it was like more disgusting than other versions of that same story. I've yeah. Seen. And I thought it was like also, I thought the songs were really catchy. Yeah, especially the the first song where um where her grandfather oh, is like yes. it's like he's having this uh delusion too the, mm-hmm. like he's talking about how he can't breathe and then he's like all the people in the TV are obsessed with me and they want they want to eat my mind or like my soul it's just like this really strange warped distillation of like American ugliness yeah. And yeah. I, I kind of liked thinking about this film in contrast to A Trip to the Moon. Mm. Like A Trip to the Moon is, I mean, they're they're both very stylized, but A Trip to the Moon is like 
um, optimistic and like excited and exploratory, like you're exploring yeah. these uncharted territories of film, and like a hundred and twenty years later, yeah. it's become it, it like all of that wonder is gone and we're in this like place of utter desolation. I mean, yeah, it felt like it's really getting at the heart of like American modern rot. Yeah. And how rotten this kind of like, again, with like addiction and with like the fake news stuff and just, yeah, like this country has like an ugly rot inside of it. Yeah. This was my favorite out of everything we've seen. <gasps> wow. Oh, wow, good. Yeah, because cool. like this, just like, you know, I, there's a lot of, obviously we've talked about it, like just like deeper meaning to it, but just as like a very odd, funky little object yeah. in itself. Like, I love that. And I just love the feeling of like how I just felt so uncomfortable watching it and mm-hmm. like confused and then just grossed out and then creeped out and... You know, anything done in claymation is yeah. automatically like twenty times stranger than anything else. You know, right. and I I don't know. I yeah, just... we could have talked about some Jan Svankmeyer movies too. Yeah, like great shorts. Like, oh, and those are so fucking creepy too. And, and in addition to the claymation, this does like that stop motion thing he does, where it's like found objects, and they're all like really old antique like things that like, uh-huh. looks like just been collecting in this mm-hmm. little and they just like move yeah. Yeah, yeah like move like wind up dolls a little bit i mean uh, yeah honestly thinking about all these films like most of them do touch on feelings of like either isolation or you know we talk about like lost innocence and mm-hmm. this feels <laughs> like the modern version of that where it's just like completely rotten and we're beyond any like hope of balloons lifting us off like into yeah. the sky it's like no it's it's bad yeah and it's really dark and so maybe gotta deal with it short films under 45 minutes and also um to have the feeling of loneliness <laughs> yeah yeah no one that, watches your art that you make yeah. in your house <laughs> <laughs> yeah especially that last shot where it, it zooms out and it's just like like the place that claire lives is this totally like um she's completely isolated she lives in this little house and across the street is this like burger billboard and that's it like there is nowhere for her to go except like in her own mind yeah Yeah. i do like that it continues the same like dream logic through line that's been going through all of these movies yeah Mm -hmm. I, i think the main deviation is the fact that this is dialogue heavy yeah and none of the other films are like right there is dialogue in La Cabina and in the Arcade Fire music video and a couple other ones, but like you it's don't need them. Minimal. Like you get the story yeah. without the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. in the Red Balloon, there's a little bit. There's a few lines, a bit, but you don't but need it. No. Um, and and this one, like you wouldn't get much out of it without the dialogue. I feel mm-hmm. like the dialogue's pretty essential to the story oh, it's for telling. Sure. Yeah. But otherwise, it feels like it's carrying on the same traditions that mm-hmm. have been moving through all of these movies, but. Gotta be honest, I feel like more people probably saw this because right. it was on cable television. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there, there is like a built-in audience for Adult Swim that like watches whatever weird bullshit they play after right. midnight every night. Yeah. Um, I think that's incredibly cool because like I go to New Orleans Film Fest every year and one of the things we try not to miss is the blocks of animated shorts because you see weird grubby shit like this right. on the big screen with an audience and it's like, where else are you going to watch 
aren't this esoteric with a crowd. Yeah. Besides Adult Swim or your local film festival. Right. And there's really not that many places like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, uh, people have looked down on Adult Swim. Like, they make a lot of stuff that's not great, but they also, like, when they were (laughs) making... (laughs) (laughs) But, like, when they... They they make a lot of really interesting stuff that's, like, churning the muck of like creative mind it's it's like a very cool source of creative content but i don't know that people would necessarily you know like a lot of the films that we watched were like considered for oscars or won oscars and i don't know that like oscar judges would look at adult swim as like this is a source of art that we could pull from no, because they have, it's the same as like that arbitrary 40 minute marker for what makes a feature. They also have theatrical distribution markers where mm-hmm. like something has to play for a certain number of screens. I think for shorts, like it's like they have to play at festivals that have Oscar qualification. Yeah. Accreditation and just real like yeah. arbitrary bullshit like that. And honestly, things that probably just make them money. Right. <laughs> yeah. But also, even if every short film that was made every year like tiktoks and like Mm -hmm. uh you know youtube clips were eligible it's hard to imagine academy voters watching this or even like if meshes of the afternoon came out in 2021 it's hard to imagine oscar no people like it has to be more commercially viable yeah and accessible or um politically upsetting like it has to be like an issue film about something that like makes you feel like shit yeah like those are their two modes right totally yeah, and that was like actually the the film that won last year for best animated short was like this totally heartbreaking short about gun violence. Which oh, it, we watched. Yeah, but it's like yeah, there there is no nuance really. It's like we've already decided what films are worth considering, and that's why I love like the YouTube landscape as like because there are so many short films on YouTube that would not be considered short films in other categories no something i've kind of picked up on too with watching these short films it's like it feels like when you have a short amount of time it's like you gotta say something like yeah you gotta get your message out there you know you only got 10 15 minutes like but you can go to a theater and watch like an hour and a half Seth Rogen, will ferrell movie and it's like it has no point of view no point it's a big waste of time but that's like expected. Like, yeah, people go to the movies to just like forget about the world. Forget about the world. But at least with the f- short films we've picked, they seem to be like, damn, I like, I got to make a movie. It's only going to be ten minutes long. Mm-hmm. I have limited resources. I'm going to say something important. That's interesting. Like you're doing more with less time. Also, it's like a advertisement for yourself too. Like. Yeah, I have 10 minutes. I have a film festival slot where I can get people who go to these things to distribute movies and distribute money to like look at what I can do. So like you're going to make a flashy, impactful film to hopefully get attention to make a feature. A lot of shorts get developed into features. Mm -hmm. Right. um, And a lot of them are just like basically calling cards for the director like yeah 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 it's like a proof of concept I right can, i can make yeah. a movie yeah <laughs> give me your money look at this look at this cool <laughs> thing so yeah i i think even i mean i don't want to get too big picture about this but like all movies are also advertisements for themselves where like it's a money-making industry where like it has to 
draw enough money to the theater to sell snacks yeah. and the uh, pre-show advertisements for you to prove that you can sell more snacks and advertisements mm-hmm. for your next movie. Right. <laughs> like, it's, it's basically a perpetual about advertisement for yeah, yourself. Yeah. I mean, I that's, guess, that's how movie theaters stay afloat is they have, like, huge snacks. markups on, like, their M&Ms. But I guess with the short film, like, we were talking about that distinction between short films and advertising, it gets kind of lost, that distinction where, yeah, you're basically watching, like, advertising, marketing for bigger pictures, I guess. I think it is like uh, it's easier to dismiss them because um, it is like a microcosm of like movies as an industry, and they are very short. Like yeah. it's like it, they're easy to ignore. There's like great short right. films that come out every year that I don't bother with because it's like it's the same with books. Like there's this idea that in order to communicate anything important, you have to take up a lot of people's time. Mm. Um, and like the longer and more meditative a film is, the better it is. And I like I've always enjoyed short stories and I've always enjoyed short films like Mm -hmm. they you can communicate so much and you like you just cut out all of the fat in order to communicate something. It's like a smarter use of resources and time. Like, what do you want to like say? Mm -hmm. Say it. Right. Right. There's no like bullshit filler. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like to go back to some of the movies we talked about. It's like that red balloon and that child perfectly yeah i get it i know what you're trying to say yeah you know the trip to the moon like i'd rather watch that than apollo 13 oh yeah like scientific <laughs> i'd rather bullshit. watch that yeah. like, like space that, odyssey right that <laughs> captures like what it, the like fantastical quality of going to another planet yeah so, like yeah it perfectly captures what some movies that are two three hours long try to capture so if i mean if it's good it's good i don't yeah. know yeah like yeah it is hard to champion like when advertisements are good. Damn, did you see that commercial? Which my coworkers do to me all the time, and my answer is always no. I mute those. <laughs> so, like, uh, oh my god! I never know what anyone's talking about. There but. is a Taco Bell commercial that those are I, good. I really yeah short films. They, they, it is. It was. Oh, no. There's like this like teenage love. I think I might have talked about this on the podcast before. <laughs> there's like they they've done this whole series of these commercials but the one that i've seen over and over again is like these two young teens meet at a bonfire and they're like like looking at each other very flirtatiously and then they like go down to the beach and they're like running around and it's young love and then like this like bell like the buoy bell knocks over and it makes a bell sound and the chick is like thanks for a minute and then she leaves and goes to Taco Bell. <laughs> <More fulfilling. laughs> they always they're not when they have their like nacho fries come back. Yeah. That's like they'll do they'll even mark like it'll start like a movie and mm-hmm. like I think the last one like James Marsden was in or something like that <laughs> and then it ends with credits. Like it's ooh. I remember they had a really good one that was like anime mech suit uh yeah. like advertisements. Yeah. yeah. I mean I wonder if I hope this doesn't happen, but one day in the future if like Taco Bell We'll just release a movie. Well, right. I'm There's so like glad an you hour and a half you said that. Taco Bell movie. Right. Can we do like go- an episode on Taco Bell commercials? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know God. what? We take Wait turns. Wait till it's my turn. Picking yeah. whatever you want to talk that's about. That's true. I feel like that's the next step in this discussion about <laughs> yeah. what is film. Is like, <laughs> are Taco Bell commercials Taco Bell film? Commercials. We'll do our um, best movies of 2021 next episode. And then the one after that, the best advertisements of 2021. <laughs> oh, to God. really wrap up the year. Oh man, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about horrifying. that. James will just quit Swamp <laughs> We finally broke up. <laughs> okay, 
I kind of want to leave off on something, but like we're recording this so early that I don't know what's next. So maybe off the cuff, we're going to go around the room. What's like the one movie you want everyone to watch that you think maybe people haven't watched in this room? If you're going to do your like best of the year catch ups. Like oh, God. Movies? I guess for me, it's because I know y'all have seen Pig. Yes. Um, Brandon's seen Benedetta. But Riders of Justice, I don't know if I know you've seen it. That's definitely going to be in my top five. So I kind of want everyone to watch it because um, I think it's fucking hilarious okay. and great. I'm going to say, I know Brandon's watched it. We talked about it. Um, the Woman in the Window. Yeah, I saw oh, it. Oh, yeah. I've seen it. Oh, you've seen it? I've seen it, yeah. Okay. Well, crap. <laughs> you well, know that got a um, a spoof with Kristen Bell. It's called like The Woman Who Lived in the Street Across the Woman in the Window. I, I need to rewatch it. Please. I think we talked about it a few months ago, yeah. and I was really hard on it. <laughs> but it's totally my shit. Like, I... I really wanted to like it. I think I'm going to go back and I think we it. watched it after we like, or we it came out after we did this episode on like Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think we were holding it up to this to insane that standard, standard. And it's not. Um, so this is going to be kind of a useless recommendation because I don't think this, this is like one of those movies that is not currently available. But oh, one of my rare. favorite films was we're all going to the World's Fair. Yeah, that comes out in January. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be on HBO Max pretty soon, yeah. though. I'm excited. Oh. Yeah. So watch in January when okay. it comes out. Uh, you can't watch it yet. It'll, cool. It can go on. I guess it could technically make the, like, uh, well, and I, saw, I saw a tweet from the director the other day where she mm-hmm. said, um, put it on 2021 and 2022's list. I don't care. <laughs> Do whatever you want. But so there was one film that I was wondering if anybody else had seen because it was, I haven't seen it yet. But it was one of the films that, like, I feel like I need to watch before the end. It was Emma, E-M-A. Oh, I really want to see that. The yeah. New Orleans Public Library finally has it. Oh, really? Yeah. Bless. Okay. From the director of Spencer. And, yeah. Uh, Jackie. I don't know. I, yeah. I, it looked cool. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, and that's E-M-A, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, maybe we can have a little watch party. And I just want everyone to watch Titan. Which is another hard sell. Uh, yes, yes, I need to. And it's on VOD now, so. It's like oh, really? $7 to rent. The like Blu-ray won't be available until January or February. Yeah. So like I'm asking you to spend money, and I yeah. know that's tough. We got to do it. No, we got to do it. But it's no. so good. <laughs> Raw, yeah. w- I know that it's totally different from Raw, but that was one of my favorite films in mm. whatever year. that Was that 20, 2019? Something like that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I got And yeah. you know, I just... You tell me about a movie where a chick has sex with a car, and I can't not watch. And it. that's only one of like a dozen weird, things that happen. Right, right. Oh, see, that's <laughs> yeah. I I just I'm ready to gush about Titan, and it's like one of those things where like I can't you fully can't, explain yeah. what I loved about it till more people see it because it's yeah. not something you want to spoil. <laughs> right. Uh, so I don't know if if more people could watch that, so I could gush about it on the best of. The I year definitely stuff. plan on seeing it before I do my end of year okay. list. Good, yeah. good, good. Even if you don't love it, I just need to go. No, I love it. Um, and yeah, next episode, I'm not sure what we're going to talk about. Maybe I'll make um, the other half of the crew watch Titan as well, <laughs> just so I have more people to um, speak emphatically at. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll talk to y'all soon about our favorite movies from 2021. Yep, Yay. it's going to be a huge deal. Oh, it's going to be Earth <laughs> <laughs> The world will not be the same. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.